It's time to talk one-on-one -on -one with everyone here. Listen carefully, bros. This is the revolution. Everybody asks him, what the fuck is this about? What the fuck is up with those videos, cunt? You fucking up yourself, cunt. It's a fucking act. There is no sis. You mind, bro? Well, I'll give you more reason to mind now, bro. It's fucking sis, bro. Everyone has a little bit of sis in them. Every fucking cunt out there. You're a fucking sick cunt if you want to be, bro. Up and it was really interesting. Yes, yes. I, I've covered subcultures since 2010 or 11. That was one of the pieces in that. And uh, I mean, it's always been an interest to me. Like in the, the mid 90s, I was on rec.sports.pro wrestling and rec.sports.pro wrestling hyphen fantasy. So I grew up on the boards and, and, and MIRC and. Well, took a break after that but that was that was my early that's how I cut my teeth that's a that's a great place to start um yeah what uh what was the culture like in in the in the 90s oh it was it was still you know you have to remember like the for people that are listening that might know or might not like the way that you were interfacing with a forum wasn't the same way that you're doing it today where you know like there are forums hosted on like google and other things you know and you can go there and post or there's standalone like url like you know web-based forums like the rec.sports.prowrestling board and the rec.sports.prowrestling fantasy board i was accessing through think outlook at the time like i was using some kind of client to to go in there and post messages and respond to messages and it was very similar to forum culture as it would evolve. I mean, there were things that were sort of in their infancy, like people were experimenting with elaborate signatures, you know, text-based signatures and trolling was coming along nicely, like rivalries would develop on the boards. And when that in element of MIRC, because I was in the wrestling chat rooms and the, the fantasy wrestling fiction writing wrestling chat rooms as well. Is that like role playing or like yes. fan fiction? It's role yes. playing. Yeah, it's role playing. It's, it's both. It's fan fiction. You write the wrestling shows and either you get the results from a simulator that you're using that my buddy Oliver Kopp developed called TNM7 or you're uh, just somebody is just like choosing the winners, like in real life. And it's like political and you're, you're actually maneuvering backstage to, to get, you know, get the win or to move up the, the wrestling card. It was a big deal. I mean, I, I was in something called the IIWF that still exists on the internet archive, like the biggest of these, you know, the most famous uh, of these. And that was, it was like my first real taste of writing at age 14. I was in there with these 30 year old men. Um, a lot of 40 year old men in some cases and got to got to be backstage with them, you know, so to speak in MIRC and all of the stuff that you see people talk about on Twitter today was was in effect there on MIRC where there were like secret hashtag chat rooms, which were like group DMs and there were public ones. And you were there were direct message conversations going on and you were you were stabbing people in the back 24 seven. And like when I was 14, I didn't care. You know, like you're lying and you're trying to trying to ruin someone else's fake career. And you're trying to get 
pull someone else into another fake wrestling federation that you're in, or you're trying to break them emotionally so that they don't submit their fantasy role play, or you're just spreading nasty rumors about them, or you just want to fuck with their head, or, you know, there was even forms of doxing in play in the late nineties, right? Like, you know, picture of somebody might circulate, maybe they were fat or something. <laughs> and, you know, you could just like, you had that one detail, you could just grind them. Right. Or, you know, in the public chat room, somebody could get a basic fact wrong about pro wrestling, for example, something that anybody who knew about like, you know, Kings road wrestling or new Japan wrestling or something would, would know. And you could grind them until they quit the chat room. You know, you could grind, you could make it so they never came back. You could just humiliate them. Like Wikipedia didn't exist. So like the nerds still cultivated, like, ah, this is the trivial knowledge we had. And it wasn't, you had to kind of, you still have to know it, right? You didn't have to just know where to find it. You had to know it. So that was a big thing back then. You could also do great stuff. Like if somebody gave you ops, operator privileges in an MIRC chat room, you could de-op the whole rest of the room and close the chat room. And, you know, like board rivalries, like a public post um, would sometimes spill into the chat rooms as well. Like, oh, why'd you write this overwrought tribute to this closing E-Federation or something? Uh, you know, and like you would, you know, who's who's friends with whom? Are you a Jim Jivenin guy? Are you a uh, are you a John Gray guy? Like, you know, who's running the fake uh, fiction league? It was all very similar to the world that I've sort of grown up to uh, kind of just lurk in and inhabit now on Twitter, which to me is very boring because I was doing this when I was a kid, right? And I, I followed every iteration of this, you know, and when for the, from the wrestling forums, and I, I was just a lurker on the bodybuilding forums, like the MD board and the bodybuilding.com board. I was just a lurker there. My cousins who were younger than me were the ones, one of them's interviewed in, in the piece that that you mentioned that Ben Braddock reshared. That piece is from a couple of years back. Actually, there are now two people in that, three people in that article who've had felonies. My cousin, so you know, he in Missouri, he got he got five years probation. Um, Aaron Singerman, who was formerly the CEO of Redcon One, he recently, you know, despite having Alan Dershowitz as a lawyer, recently went down for a long time. So he'll he'll be going away. Well, he is gone. He's already gone. He's in prison uh, for his prior supplement company was selling adulterated substances, like substances that contain things that weren't on the label, anabolic steroids, um, SARMs, which are, you know, like androgen, like receptor stimulators, to put it very generally, like uh, it was in the stuff. He, he wasn't aware, his business partner, he says, was responsible for it, but he, he went down. And then Anthony Roberts has done time on a couple occasions. Uh, that's actually a pseudonym. Uh, the real guy, the real guy is a lawyer. Um, and so, you know, or I don't know if he's, I don't know if he's ever passed the bar, can pass the bar because of that, but he said, he said his share of things too. And so everybody in that world, that world is really scummy and I love it. You know, I love studying it. I never wanted to be a part of it. Um, never, never took steroids myself. I, you know, I've, I've been part of the fitness world and I've loved covering it, but that's the same way I used to always in college love pe watching people get blackout drunk, but I, I never got drunk myself, never even had a sip. I just like watching. Um, so with the bodybuilding boards, it was, it was very much like that. that. That article, one of many I've written on these different subcultures. I've done ones on e-wrestling. I've done ones on, you know, wrestling tape trading. I've done ones on all these different little nooks and, you know, how the people interact there 
with the bodybuilding forums article, I, I had a really particular goal, which was to show, which I do with all these subcultures. And I, I know that you, you cover them and talk about them too. Uh, and I think you've even said in the past, uh, at least on Twitter or something along these lines, but I, when I cover a subculture, I don't make it, I want to make sure that I'm not making it stand in for anything else. So when I was talking about the trolls and the trolling and the behaviors on the bodybuilding board, I wanted to make sure that the people interviewed in there were very clear that this didn't lead to like the alt-right or frog culture or this culture or that culture, that it didn't lead to, it didn't like, that's not to say some people didn't move on, but it wasn't a one-to-one thing, right? Like every subculture stands alone. Not one of them is another, like, and to, to confuse that is to write that same story that people started writing on the alt-right, which is a subculture I covered in 2015, like pre, pre-Nagel even on that. Pre- oh yeah. I, once, I mean, I, I went through a lot of your, like, <laughs> I, was I, the I was like, I was like, I need to stop reading. I'm, I felt like weird about it after a while. I mean, it's good. It's good stuff. Uh, and there's so much here. I, I have like a list of questions, but Go on. I kind of, I'm kind of like, stuck into the role-playing thing because that's a bit i mean well that's where i started right you started in role-playing yeah and i i'm totally with you that like twitter is a text-based role-play and then i you know i did a fan fiction and oh my god i remember when people would be like revealed as fat like that was yeah yeah that was a huge (laughs) deal i mean just like like you know there was one girl in the the chat rooms i say girl she was 45 or so at the time her name was jody she was living with a guy who's now a professor in Eastern Pennsylvania. He himself is huge. He's like four hundo or something like big, big boy. Well, pretty, you know, not a, not, not like, like gross, just big, big boy. But like, I guess she went and lived with him, like, or like lived near him while he was a high school boy. And was, I, I guess, I don't want to use the word grooming because that's overused today, but appeared to actually be grooming him as like a protege in the role-playing world. Um, he was running a wrestling federation and she was as big as a house too you know i i mean she played like a the characters she wrote were like these these sort of uh if you remember wwf wrestling these sort of like sable like seductresses you know with the big artificial breasts and everything like that but in reality she looked like um uh she looked like an older heavier prime period rebel wilson yeah you know like when rebel was at her absolute uh biggest bigger than that even but that 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 made the rounds of the chat room and that was like bigger news than who shot jfk or something like that that was like that was like fucking, and we you know that guy was so humiliated but he also was booking like the number three or four major text-based role-playing federation so people were still kissing and dabbing his ass at the same time that they were mocking him privately right and undermining him and trying to pull off the people in his in his, I was one of the other rival federation operators who was trying to pull wrestlers off at the time because of this. And I was, I was, you know, I, I was a kid. Like I, I would never do. That's why I don't like this behavior is hilarious to me now. But all of these like little like cloak and dagger moves were going on in the background of something that that is pretty actually quite weird. Uh, I mean, people can do what they want. In my opinion, I don't, I don't really. Hear the same, but it was but damn I think weird. Twitter is Twitter is weirder though because I mean I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Like I miss the ability to like real for to be like a real like social laboratory and like really just be like 
I don't know, like I would always role play as a dude. Right. And like, I feel like there's almost like more integrity and in it being like, even if, even if people are getting sucked into it the way they are, they're going to be sucked into it either way. It being outwardly a fiction feels somehow oh, 100%, safer. 100%. Not only, not only safer, but it, it gave me relief from, I had a really rough upbringing, you know, like I was a kid, I, you know, despite all that, I, I, I finished high school at 16. So I didn't have much of a social life either. I was homeschooled until grade 11. So I, other than like a stint in the first grade, I wasn't in any school really at all. So I, until I showed up in the 11th grade, uh, living with my uncle and it was this, this, these fantasy, I had already started doing this about two years prior, I guess four years, if you count the final fantasy fan fiction web rings that I was in. So I was writing final fantasy four and then final fantasy six fan fiction in 94, 95. And so I was like completely on this, like, my parents were like just busting up. I was like on the computer upstairs writing fantasy fiction, just churning this shit out. I mean, we used to measure it in K and we measured the wrestling in K too. So like a text file would be, you know, 5K. We need 20K on this. We need 6K. Uh, it's not word length, but K, you know, like the, the, the file size. And I was writing 100k 200k a week of this, this stuff you know and like oh well, very bad i'm sure it was bad but like i was getting it out of my system you know and it was something for me to do and that say that was legit like it was not it was never it never struck me as pathetic because i had a, a normal social life otherwise but it was if i didn't have that that later like that relief and i didn't have that second life like that like the game i never played that game but like the game that was called second life it was like a legit second life for me i could go in there and do that stuff at night and it was like you said it was safe it was in the four corners of the screen you know and i wasn't i didn't have this public or quasi public uh effect that that twitter does and that's why i'm locked down on twitter by the way i don't like that uh, other than I, don't, I i write content for a living so I don't want my boss to see like oh, I got a white paper due and I'm I'm fucking tweeting about <laughs> you know like a fat wrestler or something like that. I don't want to. No, I mean it's more you know like I don't want to you know I don't you know I don't I don't need her to I don't need her to see that. But I mean I've I've been there. I've been I I I I just got laid off, but I had a really bizarre meeting with my boss where he was like, "You have so many Twitter followers and so many followers on Substack. Yeah. I mean, are you sure you want to work here?" And I was like, "Excuse me." <laughs> I make what, like $15 a month on Substack? Of course, I still want to work yeah, here. Yeah, I, I mean, for me, yeah, that's, for me, it's like, you know, oh, oh you're verified and the business is not uh, on Twitter. I'm like, well, I, don't, don't, don't inquire too deeply into that. It's locked up. <laughs> you can go to oliverbayman.com as, as you did, and you can learn the whole story. But that's, I'm here to write your, I'm here to do the thing I, I do for you. And then like, you know, my, my jobs have been pretty accepting of that, though they have asked that, that question. And I just say, you know, I'm just, I'm just here to, and honestly, I need that. I need that split. Just like yeah, I needed it then. I need insane. that. I need that. I need that tight split. And I am not trying to grow anything anymore. I have enough going on that I, I do. Um, so I'm not, I'm not trying to grow in that, that particular sense. But at the time, I definitely needed that. I definitely needed role playing and, and fantasy stuff and board posting not as a substitute for real life but as or part of real life but as another thing i could do another world that i could go into and i i don't think that if you if you embark on that today in twitter just like in twitter like oh you watch these people right i'm sure you've watched them i i just study them like yeah i think i think you do too uh like i, I study them like anthro anthro like like an anthropologist i watch 
like some random anon account emerge and you see it grow and you see like the discourse that it's engaging in changing as it gets an audience and it's like addressing yeah. the audience and it it's performing and then it's performing in group dms and there's much more public pressure right on them than there was for me or probably you in a confined role-playing environment even if e-wrestling was big at one time we had thousands of people probably hundreds or thousands of people in that ecosystem in the late 90s which was a lot for the time and you know you everybody sort of knew everybody but compared to twitter that's nothing you know compared to even one podcast community or one that's nothing uh, and I, I watch these accounts grow and behave and perform and I'm just like, holy fucking shit. I'm so glad I didn't grow up that way. You know, I'm so glad that I've never been glad, gladder to be 40. I'm 40, just turned 40. So I've never been gladder. And I, I'm even really in a way older than that because I, I, I finished high school in 98. So I've just sort of lived through it. And I've, I've been online since 93. So I've really been, that makes you really old. You know, like you've been on the web for, all but uh, 11 years of your life and like you've really been on it like as soon as i could get on it with the mosaic web browser i was in it to win it like i never left it you know and it now does I'm... like age you in a weird i think i am with you but i i dropped out of high school and i've also been online my whole life and yeah. it like makes you more mature somehow like in a weird way in a weird way not in a way <laughs> yeah. that's like super helpful but you feel like you've been yeah. through the war you feel like you've been through the war it's like i was through the star trek server migration i was through the net split on mirc in 2001 like i know i know how it goes you know, a friend of mine who was a hacker that went down in the, the late 2000s uh, wrote his, nothing ever came of it, but sort of wrote chapters of his autobiography. And several of them were devoted to his own, like hacking and coding MIRC wars and how those guys early on were just constantly trolling each other. Like, you know, just, just you know, destroying each other's channels, hacking each other's systems, just fucking with each other embarrassing each other if they didn't know some technical detail in there his term was schooling like you went on mirc to school people and that's all you just lo like it but it was no there was something that was weirdly not vindictive about it you just went on there and you schooled them because you were in that universe and then you punched out and you went to school and you were a normal kid or a weird kid or whatever but you weren't schooling anybody you know like you didn't but you punch on and you would become you can engage in like almost sociopathic behavior on there. Uh, and it was, it was confined to what you were doing. But with Twitter, there's no confines. It's going to bleed over. Like, even if you're in a non, eventually you won't be, you know, it'll, right. it'll break through and they'll know who you are. Um, there's some people who are like quasi anons or whatever. Or some people who are trying to leave their anon status behind and become real, you know, these weird, but it's all. I mean, that's me. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> like and that's that's like trying to go legit if if you will and you gotta go and like i've i've talked about this on on my podcast in the solo episode like at some point you're gonna have to go legit if you're in a non like you can't be a non and grow to a certain I size think you you write about that too in the 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 bodybuilding forum genealogy you did uh right there was it was in that article where you talked about there was a guy who he grew away from the boards because he became a serious journalist, right? Yes, there are a number of those guys. Aaron yeah. Singerman grew distant from the boards after he used his connections to build a company that he made on the board. 
you know, like, and, you know, all of, you know, Anthony Roberts grew distant from the board after he, you know, was involved in a number of scoops with the New York Times and being, you know, somebody that was in those stories, like all of those people move on when they can. You can't be like that. You can't be the guys left behind still being on a, something like that in 2022, you know, not that some of them are even operating, but you can't be like, there are going to be people like that, you know, there'll be like a nons on Twitter in 2040. There'll only be 50,000 people left on Twitter, but like Frogface6969 will still be there saying, the 50 followers still saying like, I remember when it was pure, I never sold out. You know, <laughs> I didn't get a sub stack. I didn't do any of that shit. I, I just, I've been here for the love of the post for 45 years, just grinding it, you know, posting these frog pictures. And this is, this is what I do. And there's still, ah, there's still an e-wrestling federation that's going, that's run by a guy named Chris Blue that I was in in 1998, it is still in existence, I think on whatever the Google forums are called today. It is still, it's not even have a website, it's run on a Google forum. He's still running it in 2022. It's, it's funny that you mentioned that because today when I was like continuing this rabbit hole, I was on Google groups and I didn't realize that a lot of news groups had migrated to Google groups. Yep, that's what it is. That's and I was, where they I was reading this like insane story about this guy who would like troll some like bodybuilding news group and I like Googled him, like nothing came up but this one post and everyone like knew who he was. And it was just, it was like a fascinating thing. And I was like, this, when was this posted? And it was like six months ago. People are still sort of nostalgic about. There's lore built in. And like some of the people that I interviewed for the bodybuilding piece, like this guy, Brandon Edwards, who works at, you know, if any listeners are in New York City, they can go to Eva Supplements and actually talk to him. He sells supplements in there and he's still in good shape but he's not a, a working bodybuilder anymore but you know like he began talking about it and i was there like a lot of that interviewing was done right there on site at eva supplements in new york i was there with anthony you know i was visiting the city and we just went in there uh they have a really good if people want to eat like loads of chicken and beans like they have a cafe at eva's that will just sell you like something called like the victor martinez which is like an 18 dollars plate of four chicken breasts and piles of beans and you, you can eat it. But I went in there and started, uh, you know, Vanessa, who's in there, uh, Vanessa Adams, who's in the article, bodybuilder of like minor note, she works there. And so like, they're all in there. And when they start talking, they're riffing about this, like it's like the hunt for the woolly mammoth or like some great piece of historical lore, you know, and they're all, you could just see the look in their eyes, you know, like they got that posting look, you, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Like they, like they're just, and I have it for e-wrestling, right? So like, I, I know I, I can scent it, you know, like when I, when I, 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 I they're on the scent and they, they, you could see the old love, even when they were mocking what they did, like, oh, it's stupid. I wouldn't do that again. Then, then you could just hear them in the next breath, like, oh yeah, it made me a man or it made me a woman or it made me this. So like everything I have, I owe to, I owe to the forums, whatever that means, you know, like, <laughs> and, and they, there's that love and that hate of it because it was an activity that they they were really forged in um and and the i will say the forums and before that when i was doing an mirc it really did i wish more people had had like people say oh you need a course in media literacy or something uh to be able to use the 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 web World Wide web or something like that or oh you need a course in media literacy to do to watch the news and process what's going on. I, I think you need a course in trolling literacy where you're just put into some kind of shit pit or pen and the people just pile on you and you got to start slinging it back. And it's kind of stakes free, but you learn over a five-year period or whatever that 
this is just water off a duck's back you know like i'm just i'm not uh i'm not gonna i'm not gonna just deal with this you know like this is just this is just trolling you know it's just for the love of the post like i'm just gonna throw it back because if you don't the people that are immunized against uh or you know immunized or inoculated or at least resistant to trolling everybody's probably got a trigger but the ones that are like that they can just ride you all day you know oh yeah i mean i was thinking about this like i i'm very sensitive to trolling now like i will i will flip out in real life and i was thinking like i used to like i used to get in these flame wars and i just like didn't give a fuck like i mean i would i would be excited to come home from school to bother people online and i would say horrific things and then now as an adult i'm like very sensitive to it i'm like it's because the stakes are higher right because it's like they're attacking me they're not attacking you know yeah i uh i i think that even then like even though that's bothering you i think you're probably still a little more resistant to it and i i don't want to say i don't want to say like i want to see people who are acculturated as you know women who are acculturated on the internet people identifying as women who are acculturated on the internet and particularly probably like cisgender women who are acculturated on the internet are probably a little more susceptible to trolling in general and if they never had that initial course of inoculation like my my co-host amy therese on the what's left show never had that initial never had that initial run on on the internet she began to get there she was really only there for the first time in 2016 so she never got she never got the like hard spine that you get or the shell that but you she's, get from, she still seems pretty good at it though. she slings it back but she also had to eat it for a few years and it got you know what i mean like it it, it was all like she just got into it, you know what i mean like in a way that an old hand at it would have just gone, you know, fuck it. I don't, I don't give a fuck. You know, it's just, it's just, it's just, you know what I mean? Like you would just, you wouldn't have acknowledged it at all. Like, you don't, you don't feed them in any way. You just keep moving on, yeah. uh, block them, move on or, or move on. You don't feed them. You know, you can, you can, cause if you start feeding them, even if you're good at like feeding them back, like that becomes your whole thing, right? That becomes your MO. And pretty soon, you're fighting like it's not a critique of her or anything, but pretty soon you're just fighting everybody all the damn time. And that's got to be that's just what you do. But it's because you didn't have that initial exposure. Right. It's like getting I, I never got I didn't get chicken pox until I was 16, my last year of high school. And I missed three months of high school after that happened. I was so sick. I was hospitalized for a couple of days. I it, I mean, I it was it was the worst sickness of my life, like. I had long chicken pox after that ended, I guess, right? I still had like the like the purpling uh, on my face and everything and all, all that stuff. And it, it seemed to just go away slowly over time. But I didn't get it until I was older. And it was just ridiculously bad for me. And that was because I was homeschooled. So I never had that exposure, as it turned out. But if you don't have that trolling exposure or you've been police, you've been protected or policed, or you've only gone online like to shop or to look at pictures or something, you might not have been susceptible, you know, you might not have been made susceptible to or experienced the worst that trolling has to offer, which is really what you got it. You got to get it when you're like 10, 12, 13, 14, and you got to be able to just either, sling it back at the time that you sling it back or work around it 
you, and you've got to get all that stuff out of your system too. Like not just the trolling, but like the backbiting and the back channel. You got to yeah. understand that everybody's like, if it's a, if it's a troll game and this is what people sometimes don't understand on Twitter, even in the quasi public world of people trying to build their brand, some are still sort of trolls. Some are still sort of playing the game. And you got to understand a lot of them are lying. A lot of them are going to fuck you in a different DM. A lot of them are going to, you know, say one thing here and one thing there. And that's no big deal. That's just life. Who cares? But if you don't know that, you're going to be hurt. You're going to be hurt. Yeah. You're going to be like, why did he tell one thing to one person and one thing to another person? Well, because that's, he's a, that's, a, that's what a person does, especially if they're in online typing mode. They're going to say this to this person, this to this person, this to this person. And that's if you if you grew up in any type of subculture where there was some kind of politics, you'd know right away that that's just what people do. And the only thing you can do is just not give them anything, right? Don't don't give them any bait. That's another thing. So like you can sling it back to the trolls, but don't expect to have any true unless maybe it's like your brother in real life or something. You know what I mean? You're like your friend across the, like somebody is there. You know what I mean? like don't expect that like that person's gonna have your back in every online fight they're stabbing you in the back somewhere else not that like a literal way it's not going to destroy your life mate probably but like if you don't know that you're going to be hurt when it happens but you should the first rule of online that you learned from the 90s on is that and the brandon edwards says it in the uh in the in the bodybuilding forms article you need to become complete like you don't need he's a black dude he's like he's like he needed to be exposed to every form of virulent racism right there to be totally to be made totally like resistant to it like you could call him any name in the book and he's just gonna just either toss it back or just move on because he's absorbed it for years and years and if you don't have that if you don't have that formative experience you're gonna you might get your your heart broken you might be upset you might be you might instead lash out or whine or, and sometimes the way Twitter works, like like responding that way can get you attention too. So you, which I I don't think is necessarily great overall, you know, that you can, you can sort of cry and cry bully people. Wasn't as effective in the nineties. You couldn't really cry bully an MIRC. You would be like, you would be obliterated, right? Like there were no hall monitors on MIRC. There were people that had ops that could kick you out of the room, um, but there were no, uh, nobody was gonna nobody was gonna like if you blew like the the rape whistle or something not not for an actual rape but like if you blew like the law you know if you started like calling for the principal or something nobody was going to be there to help you right and that that didn't work as a strategy that's something that has shifted over time in the online and people that are you know that's another thing that's something that people from my era never figured out really like the ones that left the other like everybody's so sensitive they, they react this way no dude that's a form of counter trolling that they use Right? That's a like really good way of putting it. It's 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 all signaling game. That's just a form of of counter trolling that that they will engage in, and it's pretty effective in public, especially because look, like if you're being an asshole, uh, you can that can work insofar as they're being stupid or they're saying dumb stuff in response. But if they suddenly, you know say, you know, oh, you know, my, my dad really did die. This really hurt me. You know, I'm really, I'm really emotionally upset by this or, you know, goes on and on or, or adds any of the other things that, that can really make that hurt in 2022. Uh, the person who's just like the pure troll, he's not going to realize that he's not going to be ready for it. If he hasn't prepared himself for that. So that's something that 
that's something that people that didn't that that are old heads and old hands in the game and i talked to some of them there's some on uh, who are lingering either from like the daily cost wars or like the net roots nation wars, whatever, like all these different iterations of the politics. I've talked to some of them or had them on the podcast and they don't like that aspect of it. They're like, Oh, you know, people cry foul now. Well, of course it's a, it's a, because this is a public space or a quasi public space that works. That works just as well as trolling, depending on who your audience is. You got to understand who's reading the tweets. Right. If you're just like Frogman 6969, all you do is, you know, post uh, post fetus photos of like broken cat backs or something, uh, you know, or, or post your, your like your, like those threats. Also, that level of trolling doesn't work anymore because they'll get booted from the site. Yeah. You can't do that level anymore. Yeah. That used to be used to be able to go to like the ogreish level and really gross some people out or, or shock them. But you can't do that. You like that also for like. The people that have been shocked can't be shocked anymore. Like, there's nothing you can show me online that's gonna, it's gonna stop, it's gonna shock me. I saw just today, uh, you know, Brazilian footage of someone being gassed in a car, you know, and you wow. can see there, you can see their legs. Like, the police put a man in this like, you know, gas-filled car, you know, put him down. Little legs are kicking like this, and then finally they stop. Like, you know, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, I might have been shocked if I saw that for the first time. But even that today, I'm like, well, that's got, you know, I was like, I haven't seen that yet. And that's kind of shocking. Uh, Got to make sure my wife doesn't see that. You know, one of those ones, like where I'm yeah. like, oh, you know, vet that. But that doesn't. That's not going to work against them. And then against the people who are are very young and don't don't haven't consumed that content at all, you'll just look like a lunatic if you try to share that shit to shock them. Like if you try to get them that way, you'll just look like a madman. You know, like they'll be coming to your house to look for the sniper rifle and the map of the president. That's a, that's a good point. I mean, they, I feel like it used to be somehow be like more okay to like accidentally be talking to like an 11 year old. Like I was that 11 year old, you know? And it was like, I, I was at fault for logging on. Not, not the 45 year old guy I was talking to. Right. Like it was me. who was yeah. fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Those kind of, those kind of misunderstandings were also well, like, like the woman that eventually moved in with the fat guy I was mentioning earlier, the heavyset guy I was mentioning earlier, like that stuff would happen, like could happen more in those days. I didn't even have a vocabulary for what was going on with that. And just chance conversations definitely happened a lot more. I mean, I'm like a boy among these, these older men. And that's kind of, there's something odd about that too, you know, like, uh, some of the conversations were strange, like either in private or, or in public, like they were strange. Um, but that today is a little bit less like if you're doing this in public today and like that's going to be a little bit weirder. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if you're if you're attacking the 14 year old on the social media site, um, you're the 45 year old. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's not, that's not going to the whole like our, our whole response to that or our whole understanding of how that could happen is going to be going to be different. And I mean, like you mentioned earlier, like you could be in the old days, you know, if you went to a non like there were just uh, MIRC chat rooms and servers to just have sex chats with people and stuff, you could go on there and just be whoever you wanted, you know, like that's not really as as much of a thing. I mean, maybe there's still places where it happens, but you're not really just like identity like you're like they're, the push is to try to get you to show more and more identity. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a real freedom in being able to kill off your avatar and then spin up a new one. And that's why yeah. the stakes felt so much lower. Yeah, um, it was great. I mean, 
it, yeah, it was, I feel like I was such a different person online and now I'm like, I'm tethered to default friend and it's like changed my, my I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm loosening up again now that I don't have a job, <laughs> which I should, I should be careful, right? I shouldn't get too comfortable. <laughs> but, but no, I mean, it, it will like that there, I mean, that thing will become even in, I, I told another friend of mine this, uh, like, let's say your thing grows. And I, I've, I've deliberately constrained growth of mine over many years of doing this, especially in the past year and a half. Um, that thing will grow. And at some point, even if you're not a non, at, at default underscore friend will become you, but not really. You'll become the puppet master of at, you'll become the puppet master or, or just the operator of this thing out of which they've come, even though it's public, even though it's known to be you, uh, like you'll it's like be, a business. Yes, there's like there's a there's a funny episode of that 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 silly Black Mirror show in which uh, Cartoon Bear is run for some kind of office, like a Minister of Parliament role in England, and the man voicing him is pulled into the role of having to voice this character on his election campaign, so he has to spend the rest of his this whole election cycle voicing a character that doesn't say things that he says, you know, like the, the whole thing. But, but in this case, you're the voice of the account that is technically you, but is really just you in cyberspace, you on Substack, you on Twitter, right. whatever, you know? So you're working for you, but not really. You're working for the account. You're working for the Substack. But I wonder you, how Amy feels about this because she has a unique Feel like she's in a unique situation where there's i mean they're really she's she's really a whole she, there's a whole like amy therese folklore you know <laughs> yeah yeah no that that character uh, is a character i know and like literally is is a character and has has evolved and, and nobody's ever interrogated that or talked to her about it you should have her on to talk to her about I, it she, i would she love will. to because that character has evolved across all of the political feuds over time. And although it, it, the views are expressed are Amy filtered, they're filtered through this character and people have actually discovered, you know, if they subscribe to the what's left podcast, that the person that's on there might have moments of seeming like the Twitter account, but there is a, People will think, oh, it's a bait and switch. Well, yeah, it's not just Amy reading her fucking tweets. Like it's it's too. It's, there's many things going. On. There's interviews like this. There's 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 other things that I do or she does, uh, but it's nothing like that. And then even when that that recorder goes off, she in turn is not like that. She's like a girl from the suburbs, uh, who is on Twitter, who got on Twitter, who although was on Twitter early on, didn't really start using it until the Bernie Sanders campaign. And so she evolved and that, again, that, that anyone that thinks that thing is, and like people are reacting to it, you know, and she's, she's triggering them. And sometimes they're getting to her, like when her account gets suspended, like nobody's account gets that level of activity. Like in that sense, not, not out, out, you know, out of scope to the size of the account. Nobody gets that many reports. Like it's like a reported account that had group DMs devoted to reporting it, even after it was vetted and returned to Twitter after her year-long ban. Recently, it was banned again, and so now she's going through all the channels of this long review. Um, she hit some huge milestone of like thousands of reports for uh, the words "tacky ho." 
I remember. I saw Taki that. H O E uh, said to, <laughs> to a random Twitter user that's like a friend of hers or something. Now about people, but not about anyone specific. But that got her. That got her nuke. But at any rate, it's such an interesting thing. And me as someone that just kind of come through the subcultures, people have asked me like, "How do you deal with this? How do you tolerate this character or whatever?" I mean, it's what that is and there is is a character. I mean, it makes points. The account makes points, and it you know it it has it has gone toward the right that's further right than I am certainly. But like, it's its own it's its own thing. It's very like Web One in a sense. <laughs> yeah, there is right? a certain. I mean, there's a certain level of the trolling. And perhaps it's because she's she's new to the game. There's a sense that the trolling is very direct and it's very upsetting to people in the way that old trolling used to be, except they can retaliate by saying that she upset them or triggered them or pile on her through reporting or through like, you know, hall monitoring. They can respond that way. And that's not something you could have done in Web 1.0, but the attitude of the account much more than the person you hear on the show or if you talk to her on here, the attitude of the account is, and I don't know that she's 100% aware of that, but the, that, that it's very combative, very like boisterous uh, and pugnacious in that old web 1.0 way that'll just go right at you. Uh, I mean, sometimes she'll try to curb that if she's trying to, to keep the heat off, but like, and you know, we'll just go at anyone, anything that crosses the path, anything that, any comment could be could be anyone that uh, could be a close friend you know if it just crosses the path that day it could be the thing that she's going to make a point based on and so, so it comes it comes out and i think people observing it today don't understand that web 1.0 character to it they're just like you know it's hurting my parasocial friends or there's you know how could you be parasocial friends with this person or any of that any of that stuff and I, I think only somebody like me that has kind of come up through the who's like a veteran of the old days and is just is is making content that that tries to interrogate questions like like this among others only somebody like that could really be distant enough to not uh, concern because i'm not like you know i'm not really concerned if if a parasocial person upset her or vice versa or that you know was upset by her because i don't know who any of these people are yeah. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, right? Like, I don't, I don't know who they are. I know some of the like actual people that have come on the show and some of them, like one of them was a high school classmate of mine. So I know her, you know, like I, I, I know those people, but some of these people, I have no goddamn, uh, I have no idea who they, who they are. And so that I leave that thing to itself. I just consider that uh, as my, my dissertation advisor would say, uh, was saying of postmodernism way, way back. He's like, Oh, that's kid stuff. He's like, he's in his eighties, his mid eighties. He just described, he's like, Foucault, that's kid stuff, you know? And wasn't he into kids? That's kid stuff. Uh, you know, and that, that was his whole, that was enough. That got him off the subject of, of Foucault and he could move, he could move on. Um, but I, that's how I look at that whole process. And I'm just like, huh, it's fascinating. Because to me, it's another subculture I'm studying. I'm studying the fan base of the show or the fan base of her and commenting on it and actually doing episodes critiquing whatever they're doing or explaining whatever they're doing to them that they then listen to. Like I did one on how they use group chats <laughs> that they listen to. And some of the people in them were like, were you talking about me? And I was like, I don't name names. I don't care. Like, I don't, I, I don't care about you. You know what I mean? I mean, I want to like, do a whole show on group chats. Um, they, oh, we should, I've, 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 I, I, I if you want to come back, you're welcome. I'll definitely I mean come back on to talk about that because I have done, uh, 
I have a piece that I will eventually finish on that. I have an episode that was an hour long that I did on that and how people position themselves in it. Uh, I, at one point I left like 20 group chats, I'm only in two. Yeah, you know, they just kept, cause they can add you. So you right. go into these and they would just, they would just play on the periphery. And you know, there would always be somebody like holding court, just like in the old days in MIRC, each one of the e-wrestling hashtag rooms would have like one of the big names. Maybe it was a guy like Scott Blair uh, who lived in his mom's basement and he was like 40, but he's like held court in this room and he would talk about his sexual conquests uh, of these like 20 year olds that he would have his mom fly in to live in the basement with him. And everyone was like, you're such a cool dude, Scott. You know, send us another pic, another grainy picture of your face because you're real huge. Okay, but there's something kind of like, I like it used to be that that's sort of like abjection and I don't know if it's because like I finally got a job and like moved on and became a real person but I used to like think it was like cool to like oh this dude lives in a trailer like that's awesome I I don't know (laughs) yeah no no in in the MIRC rooms and I even saw here uh that would be kind of cool there there was an old there was an old Homestar Runner episode uh called like kind of cool where the main character, or the main character, Homestar Runner, that has a little like wrestler mask or whatever, tried to envision himself as as less cool but still kind of cool, <laughs> and it was like a halfway homeless man carrying an Aldi bag who had a nice goatee <laughs> and was taller but balding with big wire rim glasses who called men by like, "Hey, lady," even if they were men, and he's like, <laughs> he's he's like, that's kind of cool. And the, one of his one of strong bed's brothers comes in and is like well that's not kind of cool you're just describing that creepy dude that lived down the street from us oh yeah send your card gauge i remember him he was pretty cool how's he doing these st-? and like at that time that i was watching that cartoon back in the day i remember i would when i worked like at the golden corral and i i did a couple stories on my four years working at the golden corral buffet there were people living in like a parked school bus on the Wake County line in Raleigh, North Carolina. And I would just think, oh, Walter Furman, that guy's so cool. He lives in a school bus parked on the county line. Um, you know, how how cool is that? But it's not like when you, you know, like that, that level of abjection when you get older is not really, Walter had a big shotgun wound on his arm. And yeah, I, I guess he, he, had a relation or relations with one of the waitresses uh who was there which i think at 16 17 i thought was kind of cool you know that kind of cool thing where i'm like yeah. well that's kind of cool they're they they have really bad weed in a bag and they had sex in, a, in an old car or in a school bus and that's kind of cool but it's you know what i mean it's not kind of cool but it's it's that kind of and what that guy would hold court in the smoking section of the restaurant at the same time these other guys were holding court in the mirc chat room about their weird lives and i just remember like being like well this is kind of odd you know like in the back of my mind i was like this is kind of odd but it's kind of cool i guess but then as you know i i grew up and i have family and i have kid you know normal mortgage payment like life you know, finish my basement, all that, that sort of dad stuff. I, so where I'm sitting right now, I, uh, I, I realize that's not that cool. You know what I mean? Like, if it's not that cool. Like I would like them to have better material circumstances, you know? Yeah. Just, you know. I mean, I, I will say I, I, before I, I, I move on to some other yeah. questions, like, um, I just, I mean, I remember there is like this girl, this cam girl, she lived in a, an apartment <laughs> off the side of the highway 
and just like her carpets were dirty and it kind of yeah. smelled like candles and i was so example. jealous of her because i was like there's something so quaint example. about her apartment and i would like go over there and all she could afford food wise was like cornbread that she like bought at whole foods and like it out of a box we make it together and then she would put dried lavender in it and i just was like i want to be like this one so cool (laughs) but it's so cool that's really cool you know that's kind of cool that's that kind of cool you have to give it the that was a great term for that's kind of cool where you'd see it like like oh wow like like he goes to bed he goes to the bathroom right next to his bed in a in a cut off milk jug he just pisses right into it, you know, like Walter's place. Like he just gets up from the seat and he pisses in this uh, thing. He doesn't have to go to the bathroom at night. <laughs> and I was like in my loft in the dorms, uh, I was thinking to myself, like, should I get a bedpan? And then I wouldn't have to come down from the, I wouldn't have to come down from the loft. So I eventually did take a bedpan from the training room uh, at Franklin gym at Carolina. And I brought it up there. But then my roommate was like, what the fuck is this? Because, you know, like, there was like a, the loft was like two beds. Like, I would be right up in like not much ceiling either. So I would be like kneeling and I would have pissed in the bedpan. And he's like, is that a, is that a bedpan? Are you going to piss in there? And I was like, yeah, I mean, I think so. He's like, no, don't do that. Go to the bathrooms right up the hall. And I was like, okay. And that was the end of my, like, my trying to emulate that kind of, I haven't thought of that story in a long time, but the, like, the dried lavender, the pathetic nature of that, like. Right, but it's so freeing if that's what you're aspiring to. There's something kind of nice about that. Like, I wish that's what I wanted. Both of those things are freeing. Yes, you can put the dried lavender in the the cornbread, or, or you can piss in the, the milk jug or the, the top cut off, obviously not just with a little hole, but, like, with the top cut off or the bedpan. Um, but, you you like it's freeing but it's there's it's not free freeing at the same time you know what i mean like it's you recognize that like you you like they they're free and maybe this is sort of the life they want it's kind of cool but also it's oh, kind miserable. of yeah, it's kind of tragic yeah no it's it, i mean this woman's life was like looking yeah. back on it yeah. and i mean like she wasn't example. young you know like she wasn't <laughs> like i'm her age now and i'm like holy shit um, but anyway, back to bodybuilding forums. Um, All this stuff <laughs> is connected, though. That's what I've come yeah. to believe after years of writing about it and, and following it and, and researching it. All this stuff, and I could have conversations. It's all one thing. You know, they say about it's all one thing. Well, this all is one thing. It's the outgrowth of of web culture and all the little cultures that it produced and how they've come to intermingle in the bigger things but but the back to the bodybuilding forums yeah i mean it seems like they have they had sort of like an outsized impact on internet culture um and i'm i'm kind of like curious about like what the different eras are if you know if there are different eras or what the different kind of groups that existed on these forums were because it feels like you get a lot of memes and a lot of things that are still sort of circulating come from them a certain style of speaking then at some point there's Ziz, Ziz, I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, And then, and you know, brings bringing us up to today, it's sort of been conflated with this sort of like right wing type of, you know, vibe. But that doesn't really feel right, you know, like especially after looking at the the whole story. And then there's a whole steroid thing, which is a whole other, like (laughs) element. Yeah, not necessarily one to one with the bodybuilding boards, but depending on the board and depending on the subculture was often the main event like 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 it was 
it was often for some people it was just part of a way of entering a drug culture like you like to use drugs and you like to talk about taking drugs and even before ziz like guys wanted to i mean before ziz like guys like maybe there wasn't like like ziz's contribution like i don't consider him like an impression you know extremely impressive aesthetic look like but that was sort of what they say he brought back to it he brought back kind of a self-awareness about this and also he died he right. died he died he in the became work. A, he's martyr. like sort of a ghost you know a martyr to the swole to that or the martyr to that kind of that kind of aesthetic goal uh, my my cousin doug who's in the article was that was a fan of him but he would he was a fan of him and other related manlets doug doug had kind of at his prime kind of a he was like a bigger ziz he was like a six two ziz uh with or z's or, or whatever like but he was like a bigger version of of that but largely the same dimensions you know and the same uh appearance and he's he's chilean so like he has a you know he's darker complected uh as well but then that was kind of the, the ideal for him but like the early bodybuilders wanted a lot of them just wanted to look like freak monsters you know or just wanted to take them wanted to take them and were part of these really straight like they were either taking them for bodybuilding or they were taking them for powerlifting goals some powerlifters might be on the boards to just get access to steroids some might be you know like there was overlap of all of these and like the forums were all different too you know there was the md forum there was the bodybuilding forum there were sub segments of each forum rooms came and went in terms of importance i write about one like the pit which was notorious for having like really abusive or hateful comments but it was also something you had to post a hundred times to get into so it was like this dream like people that weren't even into bodybuilding would make a hundred quick posts just to get into the pit so they could just spew the venom in that room like that was it that was a goal but and i i didn't have the space and with that group of people who were primarily like md forums people and a few other t nation forums like they would they only had so many forums they were on and like somebody like anthony was was a paid moderator of several forums at one point later in his later in his career like they were they were being, like the forums were actually where the news and stuff would be posted by some of these companies so they had paid material going into them and he was he was one of the people producing that stuff so he monetized it very early it wasn't a lot of money um but you know compared to some of these like paltry patreons it was probably pretty similar 50 bucks 100 bucks 150 bucks free and free supplements or free steroids or something like that you know like not not bad but each to really like do this i mean you would need a you would need a team of research assistants you would need you would need somebody like work in the wayback machine or whatever could be recovered to try to track what came out of this board or what came out of that board or how did just changes in web architecture how did board closure some boards were like specific and maintained by the specific steroid source for that board so like you know uh the nasser el somebody had a a private board at one time before he died and people were on there and that was a real like you know cash cash and carry get your stuff but there was also a lot of shit talk on there and there were a lot of i i did another piece that's on mel where i i interview uh, an anonymous female steroid user well it's the same woman that's in the steroid bodybuilding boards piece it's her but like she was in all these private single user forums as well where like usually some male guru uh meaning like a literal like like a steroid guru is just the guy that sells the steroids 
um i don't i want to say alleged but the rock has one his name's george farah he's a former bodybuilding uh low-level champion like that's the, you know he's he does the hookup charles glass is another one that's, that's done a lot of that for people and actors in hollywood i'm doing one on a guy right now for mel a big expose piece on a guy right now named phil golia uh who is another one of those people it'll be the first like real real deep dive into this guy's career of lying about his entire life um and also transforming chris pratt into like a, a somewhat muscular man for the the marvel movies you know chris pratt was in good shape in high school he was a he was a state qualifier wrestler so it wasn't as hard with him as it was with some of them like kumail whatever that's a harder oh yeah a harder one kumail didn't have it you know naturally <laughs> but kumail's taken so much hgh uh that his head has like swelled to Barry bonds uh dimensions but anyway get, getting back to it there's just so many pieces of this like it's not like there's a clear through line where you can say like there was a something awful board for this but there are multiple boards and some of these people were also on would be on later uh and i i've never done deep dives into it i know the culture and i know like but the the culture of 4chan and later 8chan and things like that or the people who would post an update encyclopedia dramatica there's overlap among all of these people and cross-pollination of memes vocabulary insults personnel some of these like and there are some like i, I guess anons who might be considered right wing or this or that who have known each other since the old days you know from board to board to board to board from multiple boards you know like they they have each other's docs and they've known each other forever and they followed all of this and I mean, if I did have like a whole team of research assistants or graduate assistants that I was advising, I would have them digging into all this shit to try to produce the true genealogy of it. You know, and I'd also have them doing oral histories of these people to try to figure out like what I, I talked about some of the wars here just in e-wrestling, but there were I, I don't even know all of those because that was a 15 year sport that began by mail in 1988, 1987, 1988. So there were wars that predated me wars that came after uh you know but with this stuff you know like there were wars and <laughs> sub boards and, and like other boards and there's just so much of this shit that it would just but it would be, be great to kind of trace some of it before it's a lot of it's disappearing too right uh, you know? I, I feel like it's i mean no one is really i mean you're doing some of this work sort of. it I mean, so to, much an extent, you... to an extent yeah. yeah i mean the other thing that sort of crossed my mind is you know contemporaneous to all of this um are other subcultures that are sort of anchored in these like extreme body modifications that are also mm -hmm. impacting internet culture to this extent like the you know the obvious one is pro anorexia which oh, has yes. a huge yeah. impact Anna. amy yeah. was into that uh, she's talked about that yeah. in several episodes she was pro anna yeah i mean it's and but it, it you know it it its legacy real is, is is pretty is pretty deep you know and it there's just i feel like just as many things come out of the pro anorexia world as they come out of the the bodybuilding mm -hmm. world um yeah i mean it's it's it seems it it there's just so much there and i didn't realize how deep the rabbit hole went yeah i mean i mean one common thread even though this is all virtual and this is photos sometimes and this is talk is that it's still talk about or related to or tied to bodies right that are moving through time and space and everything like bodies are still the root of a lot of this i mean bodies would become the root of a lot of tumblr commentary you know and a yeah. lot of i mean i feel like you know the the nexus of all digital subcultures is body modification yeah and i i mean 
the the starting point and i asked anthony roberts about this the starting point of so many not him or me like we we dodged that bug for some reason like he he just wanted to to get better when he was uh he was doing pro rugby in new zealand uh and i i i mean i just came from a, a family where my my dad had played college football and I never thought about my body one way or the other, you know, like I didn't, I didn't ever have those, those questions. And he, he only wanted to be better at the sport that he was doing. So we kind of dodged that bullet, but we've both studied this. And I mean, what we've concluded is at a certain age, people look in the mirror and they're just like, I hate my fucking body. Right. Like yeah. They might not say that to themselves, but what they see, or like they get a photo, right. You ever have like a photo of yourself taken by another person and you see it and you're like, well, that's not me. Of course um, every day of my life because you're like my chin wasn't here <laughs> and my head wasn't there and like i look fat here because i'm doing this or i look i look weak because i'm doing this or i'm leaning in or i'm leaning out i wouldn't be doing that why is my head cocked you know all those things right. and you say well that image isn't me or something like that you have that on that moment of unreality and then the next step is if i'm if maybe that is me and i've got to change me and i got to start doing xyz to make my you know i need veins here and i need pecs here and i need delts here and i need traps here and i want to show them like i want to show that uh to the world i did one uh with a with a gay guy that i i hooked up with steroids like i hooked him up with his i don't mention that in the article but i was you know i had a source i you know got him a source a year later he's he's beefed up to 325 pounds pretty obese but pretty strong too that was his goal to become big and fat but also really strong I thought he looked perfectly good beforehand, you know, like a normal 220 pound, fairly fit young man. Um, and instead he, he became this kind of thing. And that's when I, you know, he and that piece that we wrote together, because I, I, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't so much an oral transcript as we did talk, but like, you know, I, I wrote down what he said, he added his two cents. At the end of that article called coming out as gay was nothing like coming out on steroids because he's still not out being right. on steroids to many people because you just can't be in some some senses like even if everyone knows like how do you go from having a 400 pound deadlift to having a 700 pound deadlift which is how do you go from weighing 220 pounds to weighing 320 pounds well you do something pretty i mean he went pretty extreme to pull that off um but he says you know at the end like he's like you know there's all these gender identities he's like but i identify as hyper masculine so I need these hormones to make me the hyper-masculine thing that you can hear coming before you see because I'm so big. You know, you can hear me coming around the corner before you lay eyes on me. Um, and I, I need them to, I need these hormones to, uh, to uh, validate my gender identity as well. And it just, it just is interesting to me. I, I have no horse in that, that race one way or the other. I, I, I can tell you from having a cousin that used them and a brother that used them and cousin that, that went to, to they got five years probation uh, in the state of Missouri for selling and distributing them along with ecstasy and other things. Uh, the plan was to sell them at a gay club in Kansas City because that's the market, right? right? That's another thing, by the way, that like, I'll just throw it in here so your listeners know, but like big market for steroids especially post aids effective control of hiv is gay men like you're gonna see a, a sea change and, and i mean they're also were getting they were also getting prescription you know prescription high quality pharma grade steroid doses to prevent muscle wasting 
Magic Johnson, not not gay, but has HIV. Like, I mean, not not out as gay or whatever. Like, I don't know what his identity is. I don't. I don't. <laughs> right. know. But like, yeah, as is is fucking huge, be and bigger than he ever was as a basketball player, and he wasn't small then because. I mean, he's, he's juiced to the gills to prevent muscle wasting related to his condition, and he's been very successful at it. But that, that permeates that whole community. And so they become a great market for steroids to the point that the entire like gay male understanding of, of masculinity revolves around the second puberty of taking, for some, for those who, who wish to be hyper-masculine as this guy did, it revolves around the second puberty of taking steroids, which is super interesting to me uh, just as a thing, right? Like super interesting to me, just as a, as a phenomenon. Because what do you think it is though about like these that subcultures that see like changing your body seems to be so central, right? Like, is it? Ju- I you know now that we're talking, I used to think it was a very digital thing, but it seems like a lot of subcultures have this. You know, it's not because it, it's a rite of passage. I I think it starts digitally. I've thought about this. I've, I've talked. I mean, like, this is just me, and this is just this is talking to Anthony and talking to a few other people. Anthony being the person, the, one of the people in the article, in many articles I've written. Actually, he's helped me with many articles over the years. Uh, what what starts digitally as your D and D avatar, as your um, what character you make in Skyrim or whatever, whatever your thing that starts digitally has to be made manifest in the thing you are most of the time. If you could be put into the thing the whole time, it still wouldn't matter as much because that has infinite changeability. I mean, not not sometimes once the character's made, you have to go to like a special character to get your body changed or whatever in some of these games. But like that that's no there's no challenge. You need you need like the clay of your own body shaped so that this suit that you have matches what your digital thing is. It's like the digital is only revealing what the real should be. The real should be molded and pulled back into and cut and sliced and, and steroided into. And it, it, it cuts across groups. I mean, we've prioritized and privileged some, some people talking about this over others, but it cuts across all groups and it speaks to a much bigger phenomenon about disappointment that it's related to screens and not even disappointment, but I think a failure to be able to do what maybe I could do and perhaps you could do, which is I could I could compartmentalize that and I could then come back and just be me for whatever right. reason. I don't know why I couldn't. I don't know why I I don't know why it didn't it did bother me the same way. I feel like I'm I'm fortunate in that sense. I mean, that's the beauty of role playing and sort of knowing it's a role play. That's what I thought it was as a kid. Like as a kid, that's what I thought it was. I was like, I could, I mean, like my, my e-wrestling character was always a version of my dad who was such an asshole, right? And the character was an asshole and the character eventually had a son character who was like me, who was this sort of, you know, skilled, but somehow disappointing to his father character. And I was able to sort of run the whole storyline through that and re- you know reckon with all this stuff long before therapy or anything like that by running it through like six years of e-wrestling writing about eddie jacks and eddie jacks jr dumb dumb right like but i was doing it that way but i had no I had no point that i ever think that i would pull back from that reality and like like my dad was this and i was that or i would make myself more like this or, or anything like that like and in fact, it is kind of telling that when I've made characters, I, I know you said, you know, you would gender swap or something. I, I've made characters 
that are fairly similar to myself, except they're working through some aspect of what I have going on, not physically, but psychologically. And so I would play that out in the story. And I never really had that, that body interest, I, I guess. I mean, I had an interest in like real bodies, like, uh, you know, like if I see an interesting body or something, I'd be like, well, that's, that's interesting, you know, or, right. or something like, like that. And I, I mean, I missed it. I wouldn't say I missed, but I even turned down a chance to talk about bodies recently. Like I wrote a piece about working at Abercrombie and Fitch. That was my first after college job being a manager at Abercrombie and Fitch. And so when that documentary dropped, I was supposed to be the person that was going to talk about being a manager in that store. My wife was like, you know, we talked earlier about bad press. My wife was like, this isn't your podcast, Oliver. What if they give you a bad edit and they make it right. seem like you were just a racist, right? Even though you wrote the salon article that they want to quote, you know, what if they do that? And then, you, then that's public. It's Netflix. All these people will see you. You could be fucked. And so I, I think that's fine. But the actual writer of the thing, uh, a woman named Mo Kasich and I are going to do a show together where we talk like this about her research into it at the Wall Street Journal at the same time I was working there. And we will control the narrative. I mean, she's kind of disappointed I didn't do it, but she also hated her edit of herself talking. I, I yeah, I, I, I didn't know what to think of that documentary. I thought it was superficial. It, it missed, it, it was a missed opportunity. Do you want to I know think. what I, you want to know what I would have said? Uh, and I'll, yeah, I, it, well, because it ties back into gay men and steroids and everything else. I would have said it and it wouldn't have fit into any narrative, but when I worked at Abercrombie and Fitch in 2002, right around, I started right around the time that they show in the documentary, like the, the, like the Charlie Chan looking t-shirts with the buck teeth and whatnot, the two longs can make it white shirts. We were recalling them in my first couple of weeks on the job. Like, so I came into that environment. And once again, just like I talked about, like studying that other coworker that lived in a park school bus, I began studying like as the regional manager, Joel would come through or as, you know, or as the other managers would interact with me, I was a manager in training and then an assistant manager never rose any higher than that. So I was my ceiling. I never, never ran a full store, managed the store for times of day, but like I became, it became clear to me that what we had here wasn't racism because I was in Durham, North Carolina, and we did have a black worker. And I wrote about him in the salon article that we wanted to get, well, I say we, the company, the company's regional manager desperately wanted off the floor. You couldn't have him on there when Joel walked through, but that was because he was fat and had green braces. We had several attractive female uh, African-American brand representatives that we put in the front room. It was Durham, you know, it was a town that more than 50% African-American. That's not to say the company didn't have diversity problems in that sense, but the biggest issue was that that company, I've never seen a company that hated women to the extent in their marketing, in their quarterlies. I've never seen a hatred of the female body to the extent that that company did. Like it was the first time in that quarterly where I saw male and female nudity, where the women were so underwhelming relative to the men. Like a big penis from frontal would be right here. And a woman who looked like she was 12 years old would be like feet, several feet behind it. And it was clear where Bruce Weber's camera's eye was. Right. right. Like it was on the peen, you know, and it was on a specific 18 year old uh, rugby playing jock boy, almost a man, but jock boy, not quite a man yet, not a full man's, not like the body of the Farnese Hercules or anything, but more like more like Michelangelo's David, you know, that kind of body, uh, just that body with like frosted tip hair 
over and over and over again with women only incidentally in the scenes some of the time. And so all of the female managers who worked there, many of whom were like former college athletes, uh, one had been a swimmer at Carolina, one had been a cheerleader at East Carolina that I worked with, you know, people would say very conventionally attractive, were just driven berserk by how the regional manager, a gay man who was in very good shape, who walked through, was very, very sassy, very, uh, very cutting, would just wouldn't give them the time of day like would just like make a beeline to talk to me or somebody else. He wouldn't be nice to me either. He wasn't a huge fan of me, but like wouldn't even talk to like Bonnie or Summer or any of them would just make a beeline in there. And like, I was like, the real story of this company is, and, and you know, also he would always make it clear to me that he wasn't gay in talking to me as people did in those days. Like people forget that aspect of working out at a gym where a man who was clearly gay would come up to you and tell you how much he hated gay people right off the jump and you'd be like oh okay I don't have I, I'm cool with them I've got you know I, I don't I hate them oh do you want to say I hate them oh okay but like, it was that type of weird thing and I, I don't know how this would have been captured in the documentary but I was like this is a company that had and Mike Jeffries the CEO is still very closeted at this time despite loving these beautiful men in the quarterly these beautiful boy men in the quarterly like that that to me was the fucking story that we had a, a company run by closeted, aging, often quite unattractive gay white men who were sort of, in some cases, stereotypically like what you would think that type of guy would look like, creating an entire line of clothing, incidentally for women, because they shop there too, but like the women's clothing, like the peasant blouses and stuff that were out there were so unappealing to like any type of female form like they, if you look like a rack of clothing like a, that you looked uh, okay the female forms themselves the mannequins were so underdeveloped they might as well have been the male mannequins um and like everything it was like two-thirds of the store even in design was the men's side versus the woman's side which was like a third, but it would, it would be so packed on Saturdays. A lot of women shop there and they would come in and like, they're buying this clothing. It's very unflattering. Doesn't go above size 14, et cetera. Um, and then there's this men's side, you know, XXL will fit a pretty big boy. Um, it's, it's over there. And I, I'm just like, this gets really fucked up. Like it's this, it's this company that has built itself around the worship of the jock as seen in the Craigslist in casual encounters ad asking for someone with a job build to come in, you know, for some like come in, like I got a hole in my apartment. You don't even have to see me, uh, you know, looking for jocks, jocks preferred. And I'm like, holy shit, this is a jocks preferred job. What the fuck? And it, I mean, I was hired by a recruiter at a job fair for that reason. Like you, you know, you got, you got the look we like you work out, you on a team. And that was, that was how I came to be there. And like that's the story. I mean, the racial stuff. There were it's plenty of shoehorned in. I mean, like, so it's I, a twenty twenty two narrative. But the right. real story is this, because that also doesn't give agency to like whatever those gay guys who are running this company were going through in the nineties and two thousands, because they're reacting to the way they exist in the culture as well, and. Then, like, there should have just been female managers on there, one after the other, talking about how they were just treated like something the cat dragged in. Yeah. I've never, I've just never been in a place where I was like, the women here are not only desexualized, including the ones I'm working with, 
they like shouldn't even be here <laughs> and I, I and like there was a girl that i i guess i was eventually transferred to the kids store abercrombie all lowercase because i was a bad manager and they were like well this would be easy for you to run um, <laughs> and so they made me take this girl bridget who's like a size 10 or 12 or something like you got to get her off we just got to get her out of here the female manager's like we got to get her out of here i was like I, she looks you know fine um and it was all about her appearance like she was another hard worker it wasn't even like what you would call bad appearance like today she would you know she would be like a big big deal on instagram or something like that because that you know there's some there've been all these different like subcultures of like preferred bodies but like have have developed you know like uh the woman that was on the sports illustrated cover recently that all the people freaked out about uh he was also a benihana heiress um like i i don't know i mean like that the real story there and you couldn't shoehorn it in there because it doesn't touch on any 2022 stories of sexuality and identity and whatever and race uh was this and if i'd said any of this it would have just been cut in some weird way yeah. And so I'm going to cut an episode with the writer of, or the researcher, there's not a writer, but the researcher of the documentary, probably tomorrow, actually, if she's able to do it and how, like lay this out because that's what this was. And I don't like, I don't have any criticism of them. I, I don't hate them for this. The salon piece was edited in such a way that I, I condemn them more than I, I would otherwise. I don't condemn anyone for, for any, anything, you know, it's just life. It's just how it happens. But this was really weird. You know, it was a weird moment in the history of, of retail that this became, because this became like universally cool for a while and then universally detested. And all the while, it was just a couple gay executives playing out their psychosexual fantasies. You, you see this like throughout the whole culture at that period. I mean, so I read a review of the movie and it was basically this. It was like, look, um, what fat meant in 2002 was totally different than what fat means today. And it was everywhere. And it's a, it's a gay male thing. It's a, I make clothes it. for hangers, not furniture. That, I think Calvin Klein said that. That is 100% what it was. Like, you know, that is 100% what it was. Like Bridget looks like a disaster piece. Get her off the floor. <laughs> She's a fucking disaster piece. Is her ass hanging out of that? Jesus. Like, oh, and like that would that would be how people talked. Like the women talked like this. The regional manager talked like this. They all they all took on his like form of talking, which is exactly what you said. So you saw it too. This is what it was. And like the ascendancy of that is really interesting because you know on the one hand, like LGBT is now often like in the news just presented as one big thing, like but it's many things, and like one small subsection of that group had a certain type of ascendancy in terms of aesthetics in the culture that permeated out to like suburban North Carolina. You know what I mean? Like, like to where just these kids didn't have any idea about any of this, but they still right. were accepting it. Like no fat chicks, you know, like it was, <laughs> it was, it was reaching them. It was and reaching them. You, you have way. a, you have a, you know, a cluster of people who are terminally online, even then, and this is a culture no wonder they are pro-anorexic or obsessed with bodybuilding yeah yeah and amy would come down the line uh a few years later and be one of them uh like still and still hold some of those early views about like paris hilton is the ideal body type is something she says frequently oh so, god i remember that i mean i remember like 
I mean, this is so bad, but like really always wanting to see like Paris Hilton in like a bikini or something because I was so <laughs> into the, the thinspo, you know, it's and I mean, it was, it was sick. I mean, it was really sick. All, you know, the doctored photos of Kate Moss looking like a Holocaust escapee She's or whatever. Very thin. Yeah. Yeah. Very thin. And, and that was, I always assumed like early on, like, four, you know, 14, 15 uh, in college and then working this job, I assumed I don't think I knew exactly what was behind it. I gradually began piecing it together. And like in retrospect, now I understand it better and better. But I just assumed I was like, maybe the, I hope we've got our best people working on this because it's not really doing it for me. But like, I think we've got our best minds on this one. So I'll, I, okay, that's what the culture says. That's what it is. Um, all right. But then I look at what it really was. It was this amazing uh, moment and I, 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 remarkable, like, and it should have, the documentary should have captured that. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, totally. I mean, it also misses that, you know, in the face of this, also, of course, a place like Hot Topic could say, Abercrombie's not for you, but maybe we are. And all the other stories that said, you so you're too you're too you're a slob you can't go into Abercrombie and Fitch you could come in here though <laughs> <laughs> yeah what a message that is oh and we 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 would do that I, I would tell I would tell people like oh wet seal goes up to this size or oh you know I know that I know the gap all their clothes are in hangers they're not even on tables so you just go there and uh, I think they got they got every size so I wouldn't do this like meanly I just do what I was accustomed to say because like a lot of people, and this is this is North Carolina. Like a lot of people were besides fourteen and up, um, and you would just send them on their way. We don't have it, you know. And then the men's clothes, you might. I don't. I mean, you you think about it. Like, but at that time, we introduced, and I, I mentioned it only briefly in the salon piece. But they had this. They introduced Muscle Fit in like oh one or oh two. So these were men's shirts that were one hundred percent cotton. They were loose in the waist. But they were tight in the arms, loose in the stomach, tight in the arms. So like it gave everyone like a quasi jock look by tightening around their arms. But for me, it was actually like hellish because I would develop flapjacks all the way from like the top of my shoulder to the bottom. And from working a 12 hour shift, the flapjack would like calcify. And I only had so so many of those shirts. And like I was like, like what fucking athletes are in these because I, you know, I'm a big dude and I've got this on and it's, it's just, I can like, after a while it gets so hard. Like you can barely like your range of motion is limited. And I'm like, what the, like who, who field tested this? Like, who's this for? Like loosen the belly, tighten the arms. That was in a hundred percent cotton, not even a, not even a blend, like blends weren't a thing. And they, they fallen out from like blends were big in the seventies going to the eighties, but by the those blends, uh, you know, rayon or polyester or whatever, were not, they, they, they came back in later on. And I like a good blend. It's softer. It, it and some people don't, um, this whole contingents of the online that don't want to be around plastics in any form as you've probably seen them. like oh, the world is hundred percent microplastics, you know, so there's no avoiding it. <laughs> no. Uh, it's kind I mean, of okay. but, but go so, ahead go ahead we're I mean, right so, okay, so we have yeah we have so we have these forums um they're partially they're partially forming around this sort of niche hobby people love to go into them because there's uh, you know there's other activity memes are forming mm-hmm. memes are spreading 
we have a few micro celebrities like Ziz, uh, who, I mean, I don't know why, but like anytime I watch a YouTube video about him or something, I just want to cry. There's something so tragic about it. Also neither here nor there, but let's, but let's, let's fast forward into today where I'm guessing the forums have kind of died down. No one's arguing about how many you know days in a week there are. Yeah. Um, that's the great, that's the great <laughs> joke. Like if you right. work out every other day, how many, yeah. that's, that's sort of the joke that captures the entire intellectual output in history of the, that, that, you know, you can work out every other day each week and work out four times a week. That's like the thing that captures the intellectual output. I like, I the get prime how that was confusing to people though. Cause the first time I saw that, I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> what's going yes. on here? Um, so, uh, you know, they, I, I think like the, these boards, uh, you know, give a lot to trolling. Um, you get, uh, you know, do you even lift bro? Yes. Uh, you Myron, you mad is another one it's, that comes from these forums. Yes. Now we're, we're into today and they have like all things male have been vilified as uh, dark or dangerous or a white supremacist for what feels like no reason. Um, and the aesthetic has bled into uh, right-wing proper uh, digital subcultures. What do you, what's the, what's your debrief on bodybuilding forums and, and the culture and how it's spread online? I mean, yeah, I mean, there, there was, there was movement that way. Right. And there was a bit of a lag, like the initial alt-right, you know, like if you, if you spent hours talking to Ricky at Ricky Vaughn, as I did in the golden age of 2015, cause they would just talk to you all day or at Jared Taylor Swift. Um, <laughs> They would just they would just fucking lay it on the line for you. But bodybuilding wasn't part of their their main project. Like initially it was sort of like memeing and and you know cuck servitism and things like that. Now that right. some things from pornography and concepts from pornography and concepts from race science and concepts from well, anime and all that. I guess I've remissed because I missed, you know, you have sort of the right wing, but then you also have the Instagram influencer brand. Yes. Yeah, that's that again. And there's some overlap uh, among all of this. Like you might have right adjacent Instagram influencers who are consuming right wing culture. Aaron Singerman, the guy in the bodybuilding pieces, turned Redcon One into, and I was involved in this process early on. Like I, I mean, in addition to like spotlighting him and things, I helped him get that come. I, I do marketing. Like it's my my real training. So like I I helped him position that company to be the Black Rifle Coffee Company of supplements. So to be a right leaning, we are the supplement powder for right wingers, not for you left wingers. <laughs> and we're gonna put all of the and you know it was his idea to to put them all in military. Uh, he wasn't in the military, but to put them all in like you know camouflage and call them like MREs and all of these names, you know, and sell. To, uh, and like during the COVID times, like to to pull out of the Arnold Classic when Arnold had, you know wanted masks and vaccinations uh, and these these sorts of moves, right? So like Aaron was politically right, but he wasn't alt right, you know. But but he was in that mix. Like the My Pillow guy was a friend of his by the end. Like they had become friends. So is that all right or new right? I don't I don't know. But then like there's there's and like where you have to trace. Like I was saying, like you almost need specific lines to figure out how did this idea get from here to hear, to hear, because, you know, guys were, guys were sloshing. And I, I always say this, uh, I've, I've done a couple episodes on what's left about this. Uh, 
like I was eating raw meat and sloshing raw eggs and drinking raw milk in like 1999, 2000, 2001. Uh, I, mean, I was eating raw eggs when I was like 10 years old um, because my dad was, you know, and I, his dad was, his dad was like popping them in there and like t- tossing them back like a shot of whiskey or something like that. Uh, and that's not new stuff, but it moves and it, it became, you know, it became part of like, it's, it's become part of that culture too in the same way that like something awful ways of communicating have become part of like dirtbag culture yeah and like dirt boy dirtbag board behavior and signaling like not everything from there moved but some of it moved and some some users used like use those like ideas and aesthetics more than others and the same goes for the right like like there's like somebody asked me like are you a raw egg nationalist like the magazine and the twitter user that, that follows me like I am, I have no, my consumption of raw eggs has nothing to do with politics is my answer. Um, it's a personal choice. <laughs> um, and like, do I, uh, you know, uh, or, or, you know, did I like, like the books they're telling them to read now, like, like sun and steel and stuff. Like I, I read 20 years ago, you know, Samuel Fussell's muscle. Like I read that 20 years ago. Like I interviewed Bob Paris in the Paris review in 2016. Like I've been down this road a long time. So I, to me, it's, it's interesting to watch it move around and it's interesting for it to have like this valence or that valence. But to me, it's always just been my personal culture that I pull from here and here and here as I move around through the subcultures. But it is interesting to see how that has increasingly manifested itself in i mean like some key things pulled it back out like the book bronze age mindset the the bronze age pervert user other users who have invoked like fitness or aesthetics or the spirit of ziz if you will like meyer and those those classical bodies or whatever pull this back out so stuff drifts in from here or there and uh, you know you get all kinds of stuff filtered through that there's a user named carnivore aurelius um, who has been posting about meat for years and years and avoiding plastics, I guess. And finally introduced, uh, like all of it culminated in the introduction of his dried liver jerky, uh, <laughs> an organ meat that he certifies to be free from plastics that you can buy for $100 for 10 ounces. Wow. $10 that's, an ounce. That's, that's crazy. So it's like kind of like, that was an interesting one because I studied the progression of that user and I have no, like I've DM'd with him. I have no ill will or anything. I just study the progression of these accounts and you know, it's like meat, meat, meat advice, meat, meat in classical literature, meat, 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 organ meat, um, you know, quotations from classical literature, organ meat. And then it's like, here's my product. You know, I'm swinging for the fences right now. And yet that's how all of this goes, right? Like build my account, build my account, build my, and then in the present day, you know, somebody like me, I've just published articles. Like I, I just kind of in the background. Uh, you know, I'm here and I'm there. But like boom, 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 boom. Here's my Substack. Boom, 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 boom. Here's my jerky. Boom, 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 boom. Here's my chastity belt. You know, like yeah, you know what I mean. Like each one of those. Yeah. Like in like the chastity belt's 100% plastic free or something. It's made out of chainmail. Like in the like in the old days. Is this are- so? Is, wait, is this really really as a chastity belt? No, I, there are users that have been talking of if you need to dig into it, but like there's been an argument about whether or not it's better to be like, uh, you know, prolific and have lots and oh, lots sure. of lovers or to be like a no fap and wear a chastity belt, and have her in a chastity belt and verify that the area down there is sealed. Um, I, I follow these, but like, I just love it. You know, like I love seeing this because I'm like, this isn't, you know, that's like seeing it in the world. Like here, yeah. this is a real conversation. 
you know, that I'm, I'm seeing, like, is it better to, is it better to just, uh, you know, ride them hard and leave them wet, uh, like a, like a Western cowboy hero bodybuilder, or is it better to, you know, his and hers chastity belts, um, until you start repopulating the white race? you know, which, which is it going to be, you know, and right. like, I'm like, oh, I love, I love studying this, you know, like, this is interesting to me. Uh, others might not find it interesting, but I'm like, well, and then because all of this stuff does creep in and it's coming in from every which way. So like a, a user might reach prominence from coming out of a, a set of forms, just like I did. Right. And like they bring all their ideas and all their stuff and they bring all the references they saw other people use to bear and they throw all that out there as their product. Because I've watched this stuff bubble up. For Vice Motherboard, I interviewed John Durant, uh, who was who was early like an early meat diet guy, and also an early like alt right guy. So like I, I wanted to interview him about meat and the alt right, and I, I Vice kind of realigned the title and stuff to make it sort of a hit piece. But it's more just like why do you eat meat and why are you alt right? Why are you palt right? I called him. Try to get that term going. Why are you palt right? This is the first time I'd seen meat really getting into that. Yeah. You know, and you know he talked about it and he talked about all all the talking points i see today are there you know he's he's sort of laying i don't know what's become of him um he wasn't too happy with that piece uh like a lot of them you know he thought he's these having, characters burn out weirdly like they they don't have they a do. lot of longevity they some do. of them do there's some there's some old guard i feel like um and i've like man i you know i've managed to get in contact with all of them except one who hates me and but i, but I mean I think they like these old guard guys. It's like, oh my god, you built the right wing internet, and you did. You never went away. <laughs> That's really impressive. I, I, some of them are bitter too. Like you built this, but you're not rich off it yet. You built yeah. this, and so and so got rich off it. You built this, and somebody stealing your whole aesthetic got rich off it. There's a lot of that too. So there's like a lot of mimetic. Yeah, like, I mean, I'd be mad rivalry. as fuck if that was me. You know, if someone got rich off my aesthetic. I'd go totally Joker, just anime character setting stuff on fire. And I mean, at some level, at some level, all the big players on left and right are. All of them have taken from all of the original creators, most of whom were the fucking nobody, many of whom are probably even below the old heads and the old guard were fucking nobodies who are probably still posting on forums today. Right. You know, are proudly like, I'm so pure, you know, because the great marketer or the great marketing mind isn't the great creative mind it's the person that knows what to take yes right? so exactly. when i see a rising right wing or like some version of like a hassan on the left or something it's not that they're any good usually and like they're i'm not curators. going there. they're curators of what works and they're conducting a b testing all the time like you'll watch people dump takes like are oh, they looking yeah. for more of a collapse take right now or more <laughs> of a national revival take like, are we, let's, let's test the waters. Uh, and I, you know, I've written a lot about the takes. I've written other people's takes. Like with a period when I wasn't making a lot of money, I would write many things that were, uh, you know, strange. Like I would write, you know, linking copy for romance novels for a company that would just get them to the finish line. I would write I mean, other people's takes. And so like a take often is just literally a hot take to me is a hot, it's not just a, it's, it's taking from someone else. You are taking a take is a take. You're taking that idea from somewhere else and putting your stamp on it because nothing's totally. new under the sun. That's so when I talk about hot takes, I think about actual taking. You're taking these ideas in and putting them back out there. You're heating them up, if you will. You're taking, heating it, putting it back up. And 
you know, it's just so damn interesting, right? Like from that, I've always like people have always said, like, do you have any kind of goal or end goal? It's just to watch this, you know. That's why I'm glad you wanted to talk about. Like, it's just to watch this this stuff and to see how it goes off and how it happens because all, behind all of it, like most of it, you know, you can't take it seriously, right? Any more than you could if you worked in TV or like you know, or you worked in a, worked in theater or you worked in something. You can't look at those things anymore as anything but product production right you know? like i know how i know how consulting write papers are written you know i know how that sausage gets made behind the scenes i know what will get just outsourced to me and it'll be like you know like the the io psychologist will go well you just wing it you know yeah wing it this is our deib message okay or like in my previous company sustainability wing it we're the largest facilities management company in the world. Just go with it. Just, just get the get a couple of these words in there from our, you know, from our company, our company I mean, stock. It's hard not to become bitter if you like go into it in good faith. I mean, with anything, right? You should, you shouldn't become bitter. You should become wise. Like I'm not bitter. Like I, you should become like I understand how this. I understand how this is, so I can go shop in the supermarket. And yes, I'm still going to buy the ice cream sandwich or something, but I know what I'm buying. Like, I know it's sure. a piece of shit. You know what I mean? Like, I'm still going to eat it because that's kind of freeing in a way. Like, if you're buying the, if you're buying this thing and you think it's great um, or you're just buying it and eating it, in both cases, you're kind of being, you're kind of being taken yourself. But if you are, if you are like, buying it and you know what it is and you know why you're eating it and you still eat it and you enjoy it you can actually enjoy it more like like my my watching of pro wrestling i hate i like on the one hand i hate pro wrestling but on the other i love watching pro wrestling because i know everything i, I don't have to know all the trivia anymore like i did in the 90s like in fact yeah. i as i've gotten older like that's one thing i've not needed for any of the sports i've covered or things i've covered i've not wanted to know the trivia anymore I know enough, I know where to find it, but I can see everything and I can see the framework for how to, how it works. And I can appreciate it more actually than I did as, you know, somebody just experiencing it new. So you shouldn't become bitter. And I know it can easily become bitter if like they made a hundred dollars and you made zero dollars, you know, like that was my frog, you know, and, and he took my meme and he changed the frog to a lizard. And now he's the king of the right wing. You know, and he's got a big YouTube channel and I'm just farting around here. Um, well, now you know why that happened. You know, take that as a lesson learned. That's a free lesson to you uh, not to give it away. Right. Like, it, I mean, it's a hard lesson. It's a hard fact of life. I mean, in the in the in the business of, of copywriting and ghostwriting, I've given away so much that has that other people have taken and done better with than I would. And I just have to learn, like, you have to learn that when you put an idea out there for free, that's an incitement to other people to take it, and they will. And if somebody's good at marketing, has some mind for it, like an instinct for it, yeah, they're going to make it work. And so my, my view of, like, right wing or even I'm less interested in, but at one time I was fascinated by the behaviors of the dirtbags. Um, less so today. I kind of understand what they do. But, like, now I study that I look at the right wing accounts and what they do. And I think about what they're saying. I mean, because I'm not saying I never say like anybody's insincere, or it's bad faith or anything. I think people, most people, even if they have a marketing mind, sincerely believe 
most of the time since they're not at this level where they're like they're not at this level of abstraction it's too much actually that you have to be able to sell the product you have to believe in it to a certain extent right. and you have to believe also that it's your idea to a certain extent you don't believe you're stealing you believe you're packaging it correctly and so i don't think anybody to be clear i don't think anybody ever is is willfully other than maybe one or two people who literally rearrange memes and post them on bigger accounts fuck jerry style yeah like, if that's legit like i mean good on them good on them but that's but here you know if an account gets big or 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 makes it and uses fitness as part of what it's doing um you can almost like you could do a genealogy of each one as to where they got this info and i'll talk to some of them sometimes they'll be like oh i got it from uh, you know at bowshead 22 on this forum in this year and you don't do you know who that is he was big and i'm like no i have no idea who that is so how do you know about it i mean i've just just been in the world of fitness for for 25 years just it's not new right it's like asking you know like oh you know you you heard about this fellini movie how did you hear about that you hear about it from at boa constrictor uh, 100 no no, I heard about it from Roger Ebert on a TV show <laughs> when I was 12 and he was talking about it. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, yeah. the, like in the forum user mind, and that's an important point. And that's actually an Anthony Roberts point that I'm just, I'm stealing from him. But like in the forum user mind, you come to believe that no information could, could exist, but for having been introduced on the forum that you were in. Like, oh, that's an old man trouble. Uh, that's an old man trouble post, right? No, it's a book from 1950. I mean, that is something that has carried over to Twitter. I'll is that say. wild? Twitter it's has crazy. really done a version of that where it's like, oh yeah, 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 Mulbuggery 58 uh, is the one that explained uh, explained this principle. No, he used screenshots of a real book that he either read or skimmed. <laughs> it's called a book. I read it in grad school, and you know who else read it? People in 1900 when it was out as a book. You know what I mean? Like it's I mean, that. Like, it's so easy to um and I I become an expert. <laughs> it's it's I'll let you go soon, but it's it's so easy yeah, to like read a, a book, repackage it, and then just be like, this is my original take. Like there's so many times I've said to people like it's a true take. You're taking. You're yeah, taking. yeah. It's a take. Then they have no I they have no idea. Like they'll get real quiet. It's like, well, no, that's like, I mean, that's like pretty, you know, that's been in the ether. That's not like a new <laughs> thing I, I never tell people to read books uh, and i always say oh you know reading that's that's boring i mean obviously i'm surrounded by them here like right. i never tell people to like do that because it's like the biggest secret in the book the book yeah, is the biggest secret read. yeah especially if it's an unfamiliar book or something that costs a lot or doesn't have a digital copy um you can go to libgen and pull almost any book but not every book is on libgen that you can yeah if you will not all of them are some are just back there and so like i can repurpose a whole article sometimes from like flipping open a book by you know like muscle smoke and mirrors by randy roach which costs like it's self-published costs 100 bucks it's like the best two volume history of fitness ever written i can i'll credit him i will credit him but if you wanted to you could just take his book repackage it clean it up and sell it to a mainstream publisher as your own work if you had sufficient cred at one point, I actually contemplated doing that. Is my like, my agent was like, "Do you have a project?" And I was like, "I could do this. I could just fucking because he's a terrible writer. The information's great, but he's a terrible writer. And that's just one of many books. Like, there's lots of terrible writing philosophers, horrible translations. 
But if yeah. you steal the idea out of it or take it, if you will, and market it, no one reads anything. That's the big secret. Nobody, nobody even reads, like, even if they put a little quoted excerpt on the tweets, like Amy likes to do, you know, like, here's Rosa Luxemburg. No one reads that. No one goes back and reads the thing it's from. And then, so you are, you are as covered as can be. I often joke that I'm more anonymous than the Anons because I'm writing all the articles you see on the website under my own name and no one will ever know. You know what I mean? Like if I don't, unless I tell them, like we talk about right. it on the show, no one will ever know. I'm, you know, my advisor used to say in grad school, if you want to like, if you want to ensure that no one ever sees your thoughts, publish them. <laughs> if you want to put them in the most secret place on earth, put them in a library. And Although only- <laughs> there's one caveat to this and I've been accused of, do- I don't do this, but I've been accused of doing this. You know, God pity the person who takes a forum post and Ooh, turns it into a book. That, that, that is <laughs> That's very, a cardinal sin. That is very well known because, and that, that really speaks to what is read and remembered just culturally. Whether it was, I have, I have used e-wrestling, retold e-wrestling stories in like Mel Magazine articles or other places. And the e-wrestling participants have been like, no, you got that wrong. That was 1996 at this pay-per-view. It's all fake. <laughs> you know what I mean? But they remember that. And they can't remember like a relative's birthday, a book, like to pay a bill. But they can remember the forum post. And they're like, he just got that off. of Even if the forum post is actually cribbing a book. You know what I mean? Like the forum <laughs> post is just like, like, oh, this is ladder theory, pickup artistry 101. And it's like something actually stolen from a book somewhere from like the 50s. Like, no, you're 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 ripping off that poster. No, he was just kind of ripping off something that, that was out there for 50 years. You know what I mean? Like that type of, but they are so odd. Like that is one thing that people are really on. Like in terms of nerd trivia, holy shit. They know their tweets. They know their forum posts. They know forum posts of like non-existent forums. They have screenshots of them. They they will come in. But meanwhile, you could just you could just like crib from some like great philosophers like collected works, like, you know, there's like it's like fifteen hundred pages of Plato. Just take something out of the middle, right? You know, stick some change some words around, put it in your raw egg book. And then like, this is some real raw egg philosophy right here from the old days. Yeah, it's Plato. <laughs> He was a good wrestler. Um, you know, his name means broad shouldered. So like, uh, you know, there you go. You, you got like, you got everything that you need, but that, that is a remarkable part of this phenomenon you bring up. They, they will know, even if your tweet is somewhat close and like, just, you just came up because it can happen that like a tweet can be very similar to another tweet. Yeah. Like, those two people have never seen it because there's only 280 characters. So there's only so many things that could, that could happen you know, and, but they, they will remember that said, my favorite genre of tweet is this thing. Uh, there's this one user, uh, Cleo Chang or somebody who put together a screenshot that she retweets annually in April of Chris Kaliza or Saliza or whatever that political commentator's name is like every like April, Chris Kaliza or Saliza, whatever his name is would tweet you know, it's, you know, it's gets that time of year again, my time to remind men in Washington, D.C. that they shouldn't run shirtless unless they look like Aaron Schrock, this disgraced Republican gay congressman who I guess got into some scandal. Um, it's too bad he would have been based like if this were 
10 years, like five years out, he would have been based. Uh, he could have been like a based gay orgy man or something or however they, I don't know how they, they, they don't fight it out over that. I, I leave that to them to figure out whether that's good or bad, actually. I don't know. But like this post would come out annually and he would say the same, he would plagiarize himself, you know, or they, I mean, he may not have even known. So she just gathered together like 10 of these. And she's like, it's my t- favorite time of year when Chris Kaliza tweets this out. And it was like a long list of all the years he's tweeted this exact same thing. And I was like, this is a great use of Twitter. Like, yeah. what does that say about this mind? Like that every April, he feels like he's got to push this one out, the content. He might not even know, but he puts What's it out. Tradition? Every- yeah. I saw a disturbing one with Ted Cruz. What did he, he- do? This is really like depressing stuff, but every time there's a national tragedy, he uses the same template. Like, <laughs> I love it. Just the he same. Has, and they switches at the details, like, like the a, shooting, he, you know. He is a lawyer. I mean, he was a great appellate lawyer. You're often working off fill in the blanks briefs and memoranda. You're often pulling legal precedent, whole sections out of, you know, you're very, after a certain point, you're doing very little original work. You're just, you or your clerks are just, you know, control C, control C, control C. Then you put the Mad Lib stuff in there. So that doesn't like that. I, I bet he feels like, oh, I'm just doing how I would write anything. I have 52 templates of all this boring, of the same shit. And then I, I, I tweak them, you know, why mess with success? But yeah. that, isn't that crazy? Like that, that is perfect. That does not, like of, of people that would do that, he seems like someone, and I bet he has more of them. I bet he has many, he might even have those for like cards that he sends to relatives. Oh you know? yeah, and that's just the one that- you He's know, so mechanical. Like he is one of the most robotic. I, I love that guy. Like he, uh, the one time I, I saw him like show a human, uh, exhibit like a human personality trait was when he was, he was discussing, uh, what the fuck was it? Uh, the Princess Bride on a talk show. And he knew everything. He knew like every line in the movie. And he was That's just crazy. He was just like rattling them off and he was totally off topic. And I was like, this guy might be all right if he's on completely unrelated subjects that like, for some reason, he seems to know more about than other things. And it was like, clearly, I was like, this guy's personality actually came out in that one brief moment of being kind of nerdy and a bit of a weirdo. And I was like, oh, it's an, that's a human moment, um, sort of from him. But like, no, I mean, control C, national tragedy, you, you know, that, I gotta, I gotta look that up to see what the template is. That's it's yeah. It's some spooky shit. I mean, it's just like, we send our regards to those in Indiana, to those in Buffalo. I mean, it's just like, it, it, ha- it has to be fake actually. Like I, I, I hope so. I mean, I mean, I hope so because their staff offices have those types of letters and stuff that they right. send out, you know, like, you know, my condolences on your loss, you know, or they, like we've always done that. Like, you know, somebody gets back from the war and they get a letter about their military service, you know, you know, congrats on saving in the greatest army in the world. So like all the, you know, congressmen and like, you know, political leaders send those things out. But I mean, if it is, it is kind of, if it is fake, uh, so be it. But it's not surprising. I, I mean, I, part of what I do on Twitter for anybody that, that listens to this that follows me is I deliberately repeat like use of like animated uh, graphics, phrases, um, a phrase I constantly reuse is in my name at the top of the page. It's all deliberate to like, I do the work of repetition. Even did an episode explaining why, why I do that. Like I, I, I do it deliberately. Like I will reach, I will say the exact same thing a week apart, or I will in articles, I write cut and paste an entire, I will do this. I will cut and paste an entire paragraph 
from the Golden Corral essay into another essay verbatim and admit, admit to it. Not like, not like I'm just making filler. Like I want this passage to be seen by someone. So I'm deliberately dropping it into another thing. And so I do do that. I do that on purpose. I do that to entertain myself, partly because I'm just like, nobody ever reads in full for the most part. Some people do. Those are the dangerous ones. Um, and then, Oh God, the people who, um, I'll have this be the closing note. I yes. hate, I hate when people start asking for like, I don't know, not citations, but like justifications for everything. Like they notice every little thing you do. And it's like, you can't be, you can't be doing this to me. Like, I'm not a cult figure. Like you, you please give me like five years to establish an audience before you're on my ass like this. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. They, they, well, they, that's another class. They, they're like, oh yeah. Where'd you see that? What's that from? Who's that? Where's this? That's a whole, that's a whole thing. You know, but when people are up. like, you, you wrote an essay that like, you didn't like Fellini like two years ago. And like, now you're saying for unheard that you love him. I'm like, please, just like I'm making $50 off of this. Stop asking questions. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> no, that's, that's absolutely right. Like they're, if they're looking for consistency and, and hot day, and they are sometimes like, those are the dangerous ones. Like they'll go back yeah. and look and they'll say, I mean, with some of my stuff, they'll say, well, why did you write this for this magazine and not that, that for that magazine? What I'll literally say, and I'll, I'll just tell the truth, like that, that magazine had a left-leaning preference. This one has a right-leaning preference. That one paid me 400. This one pays me 250. Um, the message is, the message fits whatever the medium is. I'm not saying anything different, but there is a, you know. Yeah, it gets uh, edited. Like it's going to get edited. Sometimes I resist edits. Like there was an Atlantic last article I wrote for the Atlantic in 2019. They really wanted me to specify my my race in an article about bodybuilding. My race, like I'm just the writer, um, and my and my sexual preference or orientation or whatever the correct term is now. Like what, what like to specify this? And I just instead of fighting it, I just let the draft sit for a while. Didn't respond to it, and then it ran anyway. <laughs> That's and, a good trick. Yeah, I was like, I don't know what to do. Like, I just wanted to pretend like I do this sometimes at work too, where I if something if something like I don't want to do has happened, but I, I need to I need to go away. I'll just ignore it for a while. And then like, if it's not essential, they'll run the thing anyway. And yeah, so so be it. But like, that was one where I was like, I can't have this in the story because I don't know that it makes any sense to have it in here. It's about bodies mine included but nothing about sex sexuality or, or race um just just in here like i don't want to distract i don't want to pull the reader out on this one yeah like if it were a story about like my race then i would specify that if that was necessary i would specify it or what i you know what i like sexually i guess if i wrote such an essay i wouldn't but like if i did i'd specify that and but but yeah people are looking for those types of inconsistencies they're like well, you condemned the alt-right and this year and you condemned the dirtbag left and this year. Yeah, I didn't like either one of them. Like, I mean, that wouldn't say con condemns the wrong word. Like, I, I just sort of discussed, you know, unfavorable aspects of both because I'm fascinated by them. You know, I also, it's like my alt-right pieces, if people go back and read them, just like the bodybuilding pieces Ben Braddock picked up, I don't condemn anyone in the bodybuilding piece for anything, nor do I assign any politics to them. And I don't really do that in any of my alt-right reporting, except for the one time. A buddy of mine and I went to meet these two supposed outright kids off Facebook uh, who were just out and out like pathetic racists. 
but it were unrelated from the larger who've been doing forum raids like they had been they had been raiding uh like they carried on a gay relationship well this is why i went they carried on a gay relationship with some kind of like some kind of like fucking elizabeth warren forum or group page on facebook to get like they get access to the the site and then like delete it or shut it down or something like that and that entailed sending nudes their own as they explained (laughs) to me but from both of them to like as one person to the guy and so I wanted to tell this story. And so I went and met them and sat down with them and they were just fucking worst. And that was the, that was the only time I ever took an angle where I was, to, other than when I wrote about a man who was a yacht influencer for a living, met him on a yacht. Uh, and he, he was very upset that I wrote that he talked about how awful his job was, but he did. So it's still up. Uh, but these people I met, and it was like the most boring and miserable experience of my life of just like nothing there other than this weird story about how intricate their seduction was of a random, this is not a Twitter figure. It's a random Facebook moderator. And I was like, wow. Okay. So that was one where I was like, let's stop. This was 2016 around the time of the Republican national conventions. The last story I ever wrote on them. And the last time I ever mentioned them, I said, let's stop writing about them. If you're going to go down this path and find these ones, because it's going to get, it's not going to work. And then, you know, a year later there's Charlottesville and you get like the worst face of that. Like you get that grouping, you get like that, like, that's not what I was trying to cover. Right. I, I felt like what I covered in 2015 was interesting. I like interesting to readers to know this existed as some kind of subculture, you know, and it had these, you know, had these qualities, good or bad, you make up your mind. But by the time it got to that point in 2016, that I, I met these two kids, like 18, 19 year olds, um, I, I was just like, well, this is as far as it can go in the reporting. And so my, like when I was, I was interviewed later in like a thing called the oxygen of amplification about that whole period of reporting by, by a person named Whitney Phillips. And she was like, well, what is your takeaway? She's like, you just suddenly stopped covering them. Like you went on the, you were on a BBC show. You did this stuff Like people wanted you to write more on it. This is something I'll do too, by the way. Like as soon as they want me to write more of something, uh, it's just my personality. I'll put the skids on it. The last thing you want to do is to be the person who writes only those stories. You've seen these reporters develop where they just write the one thing. It's happened to me. They want, yeah, they want you to be the one, they want you to be the one thing, you know, I, I ain't doing that. Like I've been the one thing for like four different things now. They, they want, that's what they want. And they want more yeah. of it. Like, and like some of my readers just want like, Oliver, just do the bodybuilding thing or just do this thing. No, no. Well, you know what happens to me is like, I'm, I'm almost fine with that. I'm like, sure, I'll be the fandom girl. And then I'll get like too cerebral and start sabotaging myself. And then I have to move on because I get like, I'm too in the weeds and I, yes. the, the story disappears. I'll, I'll, or I'll do a thing where I tell them off directly. Like if I, if I start studying this culture, they're like, write the sub, I'll eventually write the subculture sucks. I eventually write that story for everything. Yeah. I hate to, you know, I hate to do it. Just that, that happens. It's the same thing. I get too deep into it. And then I'm like, this, this sucks. This fucking sucks. This is, this scene isn't cool anymore. Anyone who thinks it's cool is a loser. Like covering it isn't cool anymore. I mean, I did this to my academic career. Like I, you know, I was on the tenure track at a university. My wife and I had moved to Dallas. I literally lost interest in my subject. Yeah. And I was like, well, just move home. And I'm going to, you know, she got a job at Carnegie Mellon. So all was, all was well, like she got a job that was better than job I had. Um, but and then I moved into the corporate world, but like she, 
like I was just like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to research. I, I don't want to research school finance litigation anymore. I don't want to write the history of school finance litigation. This is a dumb history. Nothing was really accomplished. None of this works. School funding, ultimately, like, you know, the outcomes of it are so confusing. The outcomes of what happens from these state Supreme Court decisions are so muddled. Uh, all of this is a mess. I don't have a particular advocacy position or stake that would keep me going on this. I enjoy doing it. And like, I'm so notorious for it that like when I, when I, that was my PhD, my MA was something completely different. That research was on attorney's fees in the 19th century and who pays them. And I left it hanging for so long that my advisor took it and published it in the Duke Law Review, but pulled me in as a co-author. He's like, you really got to step in and finish this up with me. He's like, I, I, like there's a forum on that. Like there's a, there's a symposium on this, Oliver. Like, well, I mean, it's going to take your, I mean, it's going to take your thesis and I'm going to cut it and we're going to finish it up. And I was like, and he's like, it's like my last thing. And it could be a thing that you have your name on. I was like, all right, Pete, if you want to, you know, and so that's how that came to pass because that too is something I abandoned. I have abandoned so many things. I hate to like, I feel bad about it, but I, I keep going anyway. And like, you're the right, you're right to sabotage yourself because you're better off having many things in the long run been doing like people will say oh not many things but well but you don't end up doing well one thing well if you just do one thing you end up getting pulled into you become like a deep. caricature you either get yeah. too deep to be meet to say anything meaningful or you're you're like part of the fandom of the thing right like if you if you actually succeed and you're not just grifting then you're then you become too niche over time yeah and if you actually succeed and you're not, I don't even like using the word grifting because, you know, like you've succeeded, you've succeeded, you've succeeded. If you actually succeed, you're going to have to be the version of yourself that succeeded forever. Yeah. Or, or you will just end up on the periphery when the next you comes. Because there's always another you coming up through the weeds. Oh, like, yeah. There were one or two of us covering the alt-right in 2014-15. But by 2017, the Nagel book had come out and the Whitney Phillips book had come out. And those were the two people who were known for covering it. You, you gotta know? keep, yeah, you gotta keep moving constantly, which is very stressful, which is why I understand people who just like duck out altogether. Yeah. Oh, I mean, um, the people that I've known who have left journalism or academia altogether and never came back and have no public presence, but their lives go on and they're happy. I give them major props. Yeah. Like there's a, there's one guy, uh, I, I'm just always trying to get him to come back on the podcast, come on the podcast and talk about how he co-founded the blaze. This guy, Scott Baker, that I know the Glenn Beck site. He's oh yeah. Pittsburgh. I used to work for them. Yeah. Yeah. He, Scott, you know, lives nearby. He's from Pittsburgh. He was an anchor here on the Pittsburgh TV back in the day. He's like, he's like, hell no, I'm keeping a low profile now. I'm done with all <laughs> that. I just want to, you know, give speaks, you know, speak to corporations on the speaker circuit. I'm like, no, I want to get him. I want to get him on the show talk about how the sausage was made no doesn't want to do it but i admire that you know he doesn't want to come on the show yeah I, well not my don't just our show specifically it has nothing to do with the show he just doesn't want to talk about it there's a couple of pro wrestlers i know who i've been like ah, i really want you to uh, you know give me this info there's a few i've actually succeeded like dan severin the old ufc fighter never wanted to do this men's health interview with me about how much he hated steroid users and how he stayed healthy into his 50s and like what that was about finally one night on the road 
like now divorced from his wife and driving to some other thing. He called me up to do the interview, like 10. He's like, I'll do it with you right now or not at all. And so I was like, all right, I'll type it up. You talk, I'll ask the questions. And so he did it, but there's these people that don't necessarily want to revisit that stuff. I'm glad I did that interview with, with Dan Severn, by the way, because he said the most amazing thing I've ever heard anybody say, which was, I asked him about some of the, like his wins uh, in life, you know, or in, in matches or in anything in fighting. And he's like, you know, Oliver, he's like, I can't tell you much of anything about anything that I ever won or succeeded at. And I was like, he was like, why is that? He's like, I just don't care. He's like, I can only tell you in great detail, everything that I lost, everything that I failed at. He's like, that's just how it is. He's like punching the clock on everything else. He's like, but I can tell you how I didn't qualify for the Olympics in 1984. I can tell you that story for hours. And he did, you know, I could tell you the one way that I fucked up here or how I got screwed over. But like, that was just an interesting thing to hear. And that's, that really is an interesting, just insight in general. We, we really remember that kind of stuff. We remember those kind of disappointments and fights. The, the forum, the old forum heads, to bring it all sort of back around here at the end, the old forum heads that got left behind, they don't remember all the posts that went viral and they don't remember all the wars that they won. A lot of them are very upset they didn't make it. Yeah. You know, and there's probably people from the bodybuilding boards who were like, why didn't I get to emerge and like start my own site or start become a fitness influencer or be the steroid guy or be plates and dates on YouTube or be one of these other dudes? Why didn't I get to have that? that role you know why not me and or you know like they like these people have my ideas now or like they use my forum post and it became this thing and it became this thing you know we can't we can't do a precise genealogy of how each thing we I mean unless we really dug in and I know this just from digging in they tried to trace single things in 19th century court records we can't do this like without a lot of time and help and like a full-time job but I can safely say that these ideas have all moved from one place to another and they all came from somebody else. And the people that you're hearing from are not the people who initially popularized them, even to that user. And it's, it's just, it's just really interesting. All the, all the people who have the platforms that you're hearing it from, um, they are not the originators. The people they're citing who are well-known if they are, are not the originators. There's just all these people out there that kind of get swept under. And that's why, you know, I, I call it the unheard history of the of the bodybuilding forms, because all of that stuff is, is going to remain totally unheard. And yet it all filtered into making what we, I mean, making part of the, like one tiny part of the culture that, that we have today. And so anybody listening to this who wants to, who made it to the end of this, uh, you know, God bless them. Uh, but, but that's the whole story that that's that's the fruit of like my thinking about and i think probably yours too my thinking about social media in this uh in this sense and like my thinking about forums and my thinking about any of this online online social stuff right like i i think it's just damn uh it's just damn interesting you know and we definitely need to we definitely need to talk uh we definitely need to talk about that other we need to have we had to have another one uh, to talk about uh, the talk to talk further because definitely there's so much to say. I mean, I I'm kind of regretting not asking you if there's any like pickup artist bodybuilding forum overlap and no, what, there was. what it was. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's pickup, there's pickup forum before there was pickup forum. There were, there were like ladder theory forums 
you know, like ladder theorying, you're, you're, or, or like they were really overlapping, but like, like people that were like followers of this obscure, like ladder theory thing that was posted on a university website by some like you know, computer science major or somebody who had a whole theory of how, you know, like women are rungs of the ladder, you know, some people are footstools, some people are here and there and like all That's sexual, so upsetting. all sexual, <laughs> like, you know, if you just Google uh, ladder theory, it might have an entry on Encyclopedia Dramatica, but that was even pre-PUA, pre-Neil Stiles, pre-Mystery, pre-Joker, pre-all of those people that were posting in the PUA forums, pre-all the people that were posting in the accompanying PUA hate forums, which fascinated me because there were also the PUA haters who were the similar like goofball incels. Um, right, well, that they become incels. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like many of them are failed PUAs, they become haters. Elliot Roger, I, I wrote a piece where I analyzed the literary quality of his manifesto uh, for a defunct magazine, still still up through the on my page through the archive. But like that was a real fascinating art. Like if you people want a little history of like online sentiment and self understanding, his manifesto is uh, is interesting in that sense. There's one passage in there where he talks about like doing martial arts or something. And it's, it's, I'll never forget it because he's like, I felt this other boy's hands on me and I knew he was so much stronger than me. I knew I would be, always be overpowered by boys like this. And I was like, holy shit, this is really something. We've hit the main vein here um, of something. But yeah. but yeah, all of that stuff, all of that stuff, it's all soup, right? Like, and it, you know, it's all mixing together in this pot and every, every, genera every new generation is some new iteration of this stuff. Right. And like it never goes away. So like PUA ideas and PU hate ideas have survived into the, the based right, the dissonant right, the new right, perhaps even some parts of the dirtbag left that either say it ironically or maybe maybe use it but like it's all made its way into there. Um, it's all survivals. We've all grown up in this stuff, too. It's all grown along and aged uh, along with us as we've moved moved through time with it. And we've we've watched it. It moved like that. It's just so damn uh, it's just so darn interesting. You know, I, I and like this manosphere stuff, like like one living example of this is is this guy. I always I, I always I mean, I consider him a complete, complete like just kind of like he markets the cheesiest product, you know, is how I, how I see him. And like, if I see Amy ever retweet him for some godforsaken reason, I'm like, don't retweet Mike. Cernovich. I think I, yeah, I was gonna say don't retweet Mike fucking Mike Cernovich. Like this is a man that said, if you sit in a specific gorilla type posture for a period of time, you'll raise your testosterone. This is a man that wrote gorilla mindset then made it, then immediately turned it into MAGA mindset. And then I mean, like, look, he has been through, he follows me, retweets me, won't respond to my DMs. So this is shout out to, this is how we're going to end the episode. Mike Cernovich, you are a wellspring of information about the internet. And as an, an internet historian, I really want to talk to you. So has, be my next uh, guest, please. He, has, uh, he has gone through every iteration every of single, the manosphere. Yes. And he has marketed <laughs> some version of his product and self through every version of that tied to every thing. His latest move is like, he's kind of like mainstream based new right sort of oh, guy, yeah. but he, he was knows all... so much shit. He knows about like fruitarians. He knows about, I mean, just like everything you mentioned. He's touched on, he's touched on. Yeah. In some cases he's been selling to or interacting with every one of these communities. I, I I tell Amy I'm like he's not an he's not like an authority on politics he's just kind of a guy 
who's marketed himself over time, but as a figure, as a figure who has been there, like he's like an AM radio host or something who's gone through yeah. multiple programming changes. Like he might have been a disc jockey at one time and then like he was doing space aliens and then then you know the show shifted to like conservative talk in the age of rush limbaugh and then it shifted to something else in the age of glenn beck and then it shifted you know i mean like he's he shifted with every wind you know that he's he's and he's kept growing Uh, but like he's one of the ones where like he's grown and he has a big thing but i couldn't tell you how the hell he makes money off it in like the way I'm like, I work a job and I get it paid. You know what I mean? Like, I, I mean, have no idea. Like, not, right? Well, you never know. You never, you yeah. have one million. Some of these people have like 1 million followers and make nothing. Or some people have 1 million followers and want you to think they make a lot, but they make nothing. And some people might have no followers and they're like running a big business or company or something, you know, like, like you don't know. Like uh, I know Anons who are like, ran- like random Anons who are like neurologists and shit like that. Yeah. I've gotten to know them like like behind the docks and like they're totally normal uh, but then you know they have a based presence online or or like some kind of post left presence online or something but in real life they're actually running a thing or doing a thing so there's no like it's it's all image manipulation again to go back to another to another point like you have no idea if, if these people have been successful you just know they've been around they've never logged off They've never, they've kept, uh, they've kept moving, you know, like a snake, you know, it's got to keep moving or it it dies, uh, you know, so they've, they've kept up with every change. So yeah, if you get him on the show, if he would consent to being treated like, uh, you know, like a subject, like a, like an interesting, like lab subject or something, that'd be the, like, you'd get the real history from the pickup artistry and mindset to today and to before, because he was clearly you know, in the forums and stuff before that, like he was in whatever preceded that. So he has moved through all of it. Every you know, it's, bit. it's so crazy because I, I, I never released it and I never will. And okay, this is the real last thing I'm going to say. I interviewed James Damore, the Google memo guy in 2017. Oh yeah. A podcast. yeah, yeah. I never, name. again, never released for 25 minutes of that podcast, we both talk about how fascinated we are by Mike Cernovich. And I have like memory hold. I've been wanting to talk to this guy for a long ass time. <laughs> it's, it's I mean, great. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not fascinated by his actual work product. I'm fascinated by his movement through subcultures. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, his work too. product holds no appeal for me. It might for some, I mean, for his audience or whatever, but it holds no appeal for me. He is merely a figure who has persisted. He would be the equivalent of like, you know, like Minister Talleyrand serving in like, you know, the pre-French Revolution government and then the post-French Revolution government, then working for Napoleon and then working for the stuff after Napoleon, like, or Henry Kissinger, you know, just always there. Yeah. You know, he's like in that level of, I'm not interested in what any of them have done, but I'm interested in how they've been there. They've been there right, for like, it. What has he seen? He's been um, here for it. He's done the work and he's been here for it on the evolution of that. He's probably been in a hundred DMs and group DMs. He's heard everything. Um, he probably knows everybody. It's, within it's that, impressive. Yeah, within that milieu. Yeah, and they should, I'm sure they all hate one another. That's another thing. Well, we do a thing, we should do a thing on group chats because that's an important thing. They all hate, like the more close, and like my, my friend Luke Burgess always points this out, like the closer you are to someone, the more the mimetic rivalry heats up. You hate them. Yeah. Like you hate people because they're like you. You don't hate people because they're different. The more like you someone is, 
the more intense the rivalry gets. And so the group chats often have, and the like behind the scenes, just like in the old MRC stuff I, I mentioned at the beginning, the stuff that's fighting at the beginning is so much more intense than like the more, I have no fights with some of like, I have no fights with like David Cleon or somebody like that. He follows me on Twitter. I mean, he hates, he and Amy apparently hate one another, but he has no idea. I mean, he knows of me as a media writer that, that he met at Motherboard at some point back in the day, briefly. Um, but we have no conflict. We have nothing in common, you know. I have no, I have no red meat to throw to somewhere like to anyone like that, you know, anyone in that boat. I have no red yeah. meat to throw to them. I have no conflict I could have with them. But, you know, to someone who potentially, and I really don't have a niche that anybody else sort of sort of occupies, uh, but but to someone, but if you're like, if you're Mike Cernovich and you're like the rising version of Mike Cernovich, well, there's your enemy. Yeah. It's not the right wing. It's not, it's not the left wing. It's not, it's not the normie Republicans. It's the guy who's doing exactly what you do two years ago, who's on, who's soon going to overtake you you know that's your foe so that's what i want to i that's what and i have i do have some people have talked to me about that like they're like yeah, yeah it's he's catching up with me i checked the patreon numbers he's catching up with me you know oh that, man that i mean you, it's it's you can't you can't even let yourself you can't let yourself do that i've become so good at like figuring out what growth rate means someone's gonna explode um yeah. i mean it's but and you just it becomes like software in your brain it's, oh yeah I mean, yeah and you can you can see it there have been so many people that like i i love it like there's so many people that you know they they can they can almost predict like they'll talk to you at this level they'll ask for your your help at this level when they hit oh, this level they, they'll yeah. never you'll never hear from them again and it's literally it really is it really is a a software type process like they're like a they're like a sim in the sims and they're just going to to move like that sim will like and you can just see like that account you can keep an eye on it like that account is saying things in just such a way they're just they're they're just edgy enough to be exactly what that market niche needs so they're going to explode to the top and of that market see, and then they they evolve and they're like pokemon and you know yeah. sort of what the once you figure out sort of what's the next level then they you know and then you could it's just you could start it's so it's crazy how easy it is to predict yeah yeah and i mean they're they're fascinating and like the growth of those accounts is fascinating there's nothing more interesting than having dms i mean when twitter is deleted they'll all go away but having like a graveyard of dms from all these people who have and like the whole time i've been on there like accounts that have shrunk gone you know when they get deleted that when they get suspended or deleted the the messages go away but like there's like all this refuse um, oh yeah like it, it's like all of this stuff and you're like well they they grew and they they did this and you're like i'm just like what is a growth mindset on twitter what is that even you know i know they they have it i don't know how it's how conscious they are of it varies from user to user but what does it mean to even want to grow right like i have no interest in like i said i have no interest in growing i'm just i'm just here for it as i say like, so I, I'm like, what does it mean to, because I don't want what would come with the same reason I refuse to be in the Abercrombie documentary. I don't, there's like a level where you, I don't want to be at because I have a day job. So I right. can't be at the level. I can't like, I have a very good day job and I can't be at the level that would let me, you know, like, and I can't say, not that I want to say, like, that's the other thing. Like there's things you would have to say to, to like explode in one direction or another. I wouldn't want to say any of them. That's the, so like, 
I wouldn't want to say what you know, like how to to, to evolve as a Pokemon. Like you've got to start saying some things. You well, not all the time, but you got to start saying some things as part of that community, or like be or going light on some people or some things, or start like you know retweeting or sharing some people within that community you don't want to reshare or retweet. And so I don't want any of that, and I will always avoid all of that. But the consequences you don't grow. But like I don't want it. Like that's the if that's the price of growth. I don't want it. But I'm always interested right. in like how how far will they go, and what are you growing for? Like as my as my brother would say, you know, you could just work for a living. I mean, I think people want influence, right? Like yeah, that's want... what they say. What even you know at the end of the day, what even is it? You know what I mean? It's you know uh, that I this is the the real ending is here what it really is all about i swear to god is invitations to group chats which yes. get you invited to high status parties and that is yes. it <laughs> yeah yeah and if you don't want any of that you can avoid all of it yeah like, I, you know if you don't live in one of the areas where these go down you can just you know, question bro you're fucking famous you don't know you're fucking hiring bro fucking cut. And every one of us has a little bit of this in us. You just don't know it yet. We're sitting here going, this is the fuck, this is fucking target. Well, we probably right, but fuck, I'm shredded, bruh. Yeah, you can't. So at the, end, at the end of the day, bro, you gotta listen to this. If you're a fucking shredded sick cunt, you can get away with anything, bro. You can call some fat cunt making this shit, people will be like, oh, yeah, this, bruh, yeah. No one give a fuck, man. In life, you wanna be noticed, you're gonna be a fucking rude cunt, you're gonna be a shredded cunt. You're gonna go to gym, you're gonna be sick, can't you? Fuck bitches. You know, I'm not gonna fuck. So that's what we do, bro. That's what the Ziz cunts do. That's what the revolution is, bro. None of these fucking sad cunts. We're all gonna fucking make it, bro. That's it.